Law was our first computer. I saw that on. Facebook. Oh yeah, that was you were quoting yourself. I was yeah, that's gonna, how I think. I'm, that's yourself. how I think I'm going to start the next. I was going to ask you who you were quoting because it seemed like such an intriguing. Well, that's how, I, that's how I think I'm going to start it. I th- you know, you always need to start. You do need to start. And um, so you think law, you're going to start with law? What is the first computer? Was no, computer? was was law was our first computer? I think okay. is the okay. right idea. Because you know there I are. It other was that thing now. that they found under the sea that looked like a. You know. There was something I, that was like 500 years old that they found at the bottom of a ship that seemed like it was a computer oh, yeah. in a kind of cyberpunk. The Kithera machine right. or whatever yeah. it was called. Yeah, yeah, that thing. I, you're thinking of those. Uh, you're thinking of those robots that fight. No, that the, aren't. Didn't those come from under the those sea? Those Hajis? No, no. Called? I mean, in, I mean, this is in Hajis? real life. Oh, like, in real life. <laughs> no, in real life. So it was. Um, what, what's what's the word for it? Um, uh, the whole like clockworky. Thing. steampunk steampunk it was like a, it was like this sort of steampunkish analog thing that sort mm-hmm. of seemed computer like and it was several hundred years old nice then um, it was like in rocks and part like it looked like it had sort of grown over as a rock so mm-hmm. a lot of it was just from x-ray revelation about yeah. what it actually the, what the machine i think comprised. i think law started before there were humans really that's very mystical mm-hmm. i mean no i can see that no, right no. so there's 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 i mean coming out of like social norms around Higher developed monkeys, mm-hmm. right? Right, isn't that what we are, though? <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't know. Higher yeah, developed. I, it's it, it, we're we're differently developed monkeys. Well, no, I mean, I meant higher developed monkeys is yeah, contrasted yeah, no. with like mice, right. like lower mammals that may not have as right. a complex social organization. Right. Yes. The mirror neurons and all that other stuff that lets you think. Ah, oh, there are other people who think like I do. So, is your title going to mention the bonobos? <laughs> Because it sounds like you're writing bonobo law. I'm gonna, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's going to be the front page. It's just going to be a picture of a mass of bonobos engaged in all kinds of polyamory. Oh my! You know, that's that's what they do. You know, the bonobos. They're I, pretty. They're pretty into the amory. This is not going to make it in the show. Are you sure? I don't, no. So <laughs> one of my I, 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 one of my favorite topics, which like I love talking about, but I'm not academically schooled in, is yeah. sort of like human behavior and social norms and all of that, and looking right. back evolutionarily at what we can learn from other species and other cultures. And um, what was the there? Was There's a, not a lot of like interspecific legal scholarship, is there? Um, not a ton. Um, there's a guy named Owen something. Oh God. This is why I like to prepare in advance. He's at um he's at Vanderbilt, and he's I, I want to say Owen Wilson, but that's an actor. Yeah, no. <laughs> you think you're thinking of E.O. Wilson? No, no, I'm Owen, not thinking of E.O. Wilson. <laughs> right, then, then you're thinking, thinking either of Owen Fiss or Uncle no, or no, Uncle Owen a, from Star no, Wars: A New Hope. You know, he's a professor at Vanderbilt, and he um write, write, writes about human, human behavior, biology, and the law. Um, and we can now we have to cut this out because I don't remember his name. Um, but oh, we'll just we'll just drop it in. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be the best later. part of the show. Yeah, we need to do the reloop where we can just come back in and loop in Jones. Right. Like we'll just drop in. That's that. it. It's Owen Jones. Oh, is it really? I think so. Oh, cool. <laughs> I didn't know. Well, look it up. You know, this um, is the other thing. We've got show notes, which are cool, um, and so we'll just put in a link to something about him in the show notes. There you go. That way, you don't need to. But I won't do. I won't do this to Christina. This is not yet the show. Oh, good. Um, no, th- for real. I, I really. I, I really think, no, I think this is the show because I, I. Whenever I've listened to your old ones, you say we're not. We're going to cut this out, and yeah, then so you, you know don't cut lying. it out. Yeah. No, but you see, you don't hear the times I say that, and I do cut it out. Yeah. So Which are non-existent. Of a certain you don't kind of hear those. Oh, that's they don't true. Exist. It's true. Right. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. I still don't believe you, though. Yeah, this is not the show. Don't worry. Don't believe him. Don't worry. Just. 
let's you know let's record all your thoughts on things you know what i what i find most interesting though when you when you read about um how other cultures do something vastly differently than our current one does is how easy it is to assume that what everyone you know does is the way things are and that they're just you know it, right. uh, separating moral judgments entirely because often the the examples are like um the way that that marriage or family or sex works in different cultures but just the fact that there's there's always things and i no matter how open-minded i think i am there's always something where i'm surprised that like wow there are people that do that totally differently and i just assumed that was the norm and i feel like that has to motivate the way we make laws and think about human behavior so much and it's so hard to like tear that apart i think the internet is a machine for introducing us to things that blow our minds like that right the internet is a machine for realizing people do things really differently Right? Don't you think? You know, you know another good thing that does that. Um, the internet does. That's true. But yeah. um, and it's you know all those cat videos. But um, the uh, going to the grocery store in a oh, foreign of course, country, of course. Yeah. Is... Say no more, Joe. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, in a foreign oh. country. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it really, it really is an amazing. Like, not just because all the brands. Not all. Most is this like the... George H. W. Bush with a scanner? Is that what you're going gonna... <laughs> to? Not quite. <laughs> it blows although, your mind when somewhat. you see this laser scanner. In uh, yeah. The... yeah. Okay. Um, like the so most of the brands are different, but even apart from that, like the pictures on all the things that you're seeing at the supermarket, you realize, wow, I don't eat that. Like I don't understand <laughs> what that is, and what is, and why is it look that way? And so it, it, so it's a very quick hit on the fact that without going into everyone's house and seeing what they're doing in their house, you're just walking around and seeing what must be in their kitchen. You don't even have to go to a foreign country for that because you come over to my house and you say, don't feed me that. Don't give me that cup. <laughs> turn off your music like you did today. <laughs> like you can't even believe how I live my life. Uh, why do that, you have to go to a foreign country to get this? That I may know. be. I, first, okay. Dear listeners, I need you to understand. The reason I rejected that cup is because it's a crazy monkey ball shape that i want nothing to do with what is it okay. shape like? it's 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 got a it's got a lip that comes way up on the other side and so you bonk yourself in the eyeglasses when no, you use it's this a, cup oh. it's no so it's defective yes no it's not a no no and no no it's like you take a normal coffee cup and instead of like you know cutting across the top straight like with a level you incline it maybe 15 degrees or something like that, and and then you cut. And so you drink out of the shallow side. It's not it's not curved down. Why like would a you lip. do that? Because when you're drinking, the the, uh, the the top of the cup like covers your nose and everything, right? And yeah, so right you're getting all the aromas. Right before it smashes into your nose? No. It I've never heard, anybody, never heard anybody say that except for I showed for you that it did that. I showed it to you. I, yeah, I don't really remember that. Okay. Do you remember um, that? I don't doubt it though. Maybe there's something funny about your nose, or your glasses. Maybe I don't think so. Yeah. Joe looks pretty normal to me. Mm. See, uh, this cup doesn't doesn't look normal. Yeah, this is Christina's trying to make up for the fact that last week Marissa took my side on the fact that Joe is a monster. <laughs> <laughs> We're not getting to speed trap law that fast. No. I refuse to let us turn. Well, to we that don't. Topic. First of all, people don't know who the our guest is. Sh- I know. And, um, but I, like I said last week, I think we should just wait till the end for that. Oh, okay. Um, that's fine. Given that it's already gone so far off the rails, hopefully enough, like people will turn it off before we get to the end that I will not suffer any reputational damage. (laughs) It is true. I I really will cut out that first part. What food have I ever, I don't say don't feed me that. That's sound makes me sound, make me sound very rude. No, no, no. You're not rude. You're just Joe. Show. I, I love it. We created it. You're it. so rude. We created a new category. No, we just no, call it no. your name. Joe is not the extremeness of rude. I didn't say that. Just, just its own thing. It's its own thing. You have, you have strong opinions about stuff. That's I why do. the show works, Joe. 
Awesome. Uh, we right, so we also have. Uh, do, do we get any more feedback? No. We, got, we yes. We did. We got the. Oh, there's thank little, you, Darcy. That's little Darcy. That's for that's for Darcy. listener uh, Van Hoof and Stampins. Yes. Um, he always wants more Darcy. Yeah, he wants more Darcy. There she goes. Uh, no, we had the email that we were holding over from last week. Yeah, but that's not what you asked me. You asked me if we had any more. We don't have more. We have a thing from before that we had before. You're not supposed to tell the listeners that we're not... That we want them. We to, mentioned it last time. No, but we want them to think that we're getting so much and we can only read so many. Okay. Because, you know, people think... If, if everybody's writing in, I should write in too. They're hey, thinking. we should remind them where we, they can email us. Oralargumentpodcast at gmail.com. Indeed. I don't remember what the message from before said. Do you? Do you have your iPhone? Yes. Okay. But I was hoping we could remember. Let me let me introduce up. our guest, and you you retrieve your iPhone. Are we talking and, about the one who from the one from the person who does not want his or her name used? Yeah, first name and last name redacted. Okay, I'll I will look for that. Okay, our guest today is Christina Mulligan. Um, I don't you know she's another, another law teacher. Is that yet what else? another that, one? Yeah. Just one in a series of easily tradable, <laughs> fungible, fungible law, law professors. I don't, fungible makes us, you know, you're Darcy. Hey, Darcy. Darcy. No, because you guys are expert at different things, so you're not fungible at all. That's true. You're the opposite of fungible. Right, and that's why the introduction is yet another law professor. God, why can't we get anyone else on this show? <laughs> no, no, we want you on the show. Um, uh, and, and Darcy. Clearly likes having you here. She won't leave you alone. Come here, Darcy. Hey, what's up? Come here, Darcy. Come here. Lie down. All right, so I'm going to have to cut all this out, too. Great. No, you won't. I'm editing. You're going to be editing like for hours. Yeah. This reminds me of that old SNL sketch, Delicious Dish, where the radio hosts were these really kind of... Like, oh, the NPR. Yeah, the NPR and they were like, oh... This coffee cup <laughs> covers my nose, and that's not okay. That's exactly what it's up. My favorite like. coffee mug has a snowman on it. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was Anna Gasteyer. And who was the other? I can't remember who the other person. It wasn't Amy Poehler. Who was mm-hmm. it? Oh, I. Um, um, Alec Baldwin then joins them as a guest. Yeah. Um, it's a Christmas it's, episode. Uh, it's Gilda Radner. And he's talking. Mm. And he's talking. His na- His last name is Schwetty. Oh, the balls. Yeah, sweaty I balls. actually was thinking about that, but then I wasn't going to mention it because I thought it might be off color for no, this no, podcast. No, this but is, you guys can bring whatever topic you want into no, no, your own is, show. You're, yeah. you're right. This is a family podcast. This is a family yeah. podcast. Mm-hmm. God damn it. Um, I ha- so I have that. Okay. So what's our feedback, Joe? We got to get this on the road. Um, this is We started off strong and we, we're dipping now. People are, people are starting. They're reaching for the pause. But wait. Uh, wait. Here comes Joe. Uh, Read the whole thing. Oh, really? I'm just going to read it. I, is, I, I haven't even... I mean, I you can put it. on a voice to sound more <laughs> <laughs> realistic or something. I'm not going to put on a voice, but here. Uh, I'll hey, put on a voice. Hey, mm, no, <laughs> um, hey, guys. I am stuck at level 284 on Candy Crush Saga. Is there any way you can send me some extra lives or moves to help me out? That would be great. Uh, then it says, first, comma. Now, this is an odd thing to say halfway into the message. Like right. The word well, this first. is second. This is second. This is second. Right. So editing on the fly. Second, mm-hmm. <laughs> you would need a Facebook page for the show, which we now have, by the way. Yeah, don't we? yeah I, made, I made a Facebook page for the show. And yeah. then it talks about a Google search. Um, what, what, it says, and then it talks about a Google search, or you're, like, you're, um, you're editing? You told me to edit. No, I said read it. You I just, just gave me permission, out. though, to edit. So Whatever. I'm editing. Just read it. Um, Christine's oh, already, yeah, she's FYI. halfway out the door. She's going home. <laughs> yeah, this is truly. 
Oh, awful. Uh, oh yeah, comma FYI, a Google uh, a Google search for oral argument podcast does not show you guys until page three. Now that's a serious problem. The listener has uh, put his put his finger on what I think is a very serious problem. So you say that's a serious problem? I think it's a very serious problem that we don't appear until the second page of. He said the third page. No, I, I figure by that. now that was how, how old is the email though? Five weeks old. <laughs> I mean, but this is a classic <laughs> trademark um, issue almost, right? The, the fact, you know, you need, or not a trademark issue, but, you know, you the reason you avoid names that already have meanings is so you're more distinctive, right? right. So oral we, argument podcast, there's plenty of oral arguments. There's probably podcasts about oral arguments. Yep. What you really need is a totally unique made-up name. Like Zarkle Snag. Zarkle Snag. <laughs> no, that's too many syllables. You just want Zwoosh. Zwoosh. I think that's also a thing, though. Isn't Zwoosh? It? Z-W-O-O-S-H. Don't you think? Darcy. I bet if we Googled that, Darcy. that that would show up. This is never... Darcy. So, so this is a problem. And that we, you're saying we fell on our face kind of fl- right out of the gate. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. By choosing basically a descriptive mark. A descriptive mark. mark, yeah. Yeah, but... I think it's a bold statement, though, because I think it's going to take over. I think it's a bold statement about our belief in our ability to acquire distinctiveness. Bold and right. foolish. <laughs> I, I am nothing if not foolish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, as so far what as, is Christina expert what is, in? What is this Candy Crush thing, though? I don't know. When I'm, Both, of talk about that, you know? <laughs> Both of those questions okay, are equally let, important. What? Both of those questions are equally important. Do you mind if I can just answer the listeners' questions? Number one, I mind if it takes more than two sentences. Oh boy! Number one, no, I don't. I don't play the game. I don't know what it is. I can't help you with. Can't. I don't think anybody should play it. Probably should be banned. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to join you on that one. But you're go not. Ahead. No, Christina's written about censorship a little bit, haven't you? Yeah, you. I don't think you should ban the game. That's probably really. Yeah, probably not. However, they recently were um, sending lots of cease and desist letters for people that had the word candy or something similar in their game names. And they kind of, I think they eventually were kind of, um, you know, tamped down a little bit when it was like, you can't copyright the word candy. Ah, so candy land. I don't think they went that far. I don't remember exactly who they were, um, who they were hitting, but they, there was a sort of aggressive anti-similar um uh phone game so they're campaign. they're claiming they're a famous mark at this point i don't think i don't know if they were technically they weren't claiming anything they were just sending me they're just sending me i mean yeah. i think the 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 ip cease and desist ambiguous claim letter is a popular phenomenon indeed all right and so, so the upshot not- of that is that you agree that we should ban the game okay so we're all settled on there that you go. I, joe I'm did you agree with that too i forgot i didn't I don't remember. Uh, anyway, so that we're we're past that. <laughs> it's true. So the, the the line just just to be clear, the line of argument is because sometimes you send cease and desist letters that are too aggressive, therefore your own game should just be entirely disallowed and rendered illegal. That's your position. My position is that the game is addictive and harmful to children, and won't anybody think of the children? Therefore, ban the game. Okay. No, not really. But uh, this particular listener though should quit playing. Delete it from your phone. You you you'll go that far, right, Joe? I'm impressed that there are 284 levels. Like, I didn't know that. He references level 284. I think that's impressive. Yeah. And I think he might have explored it enough. Yeah, that's, that's enough. Put it down. That's Maybe. our advice. That's yeah. our advice. But just put it, put it down for a while. Um, Is there a character in Candyland called Grandma Nut? I think that's true. <laughs> no. I do agree. No, it's true. 
You're right. There's Queen Frostine, I know. Oh, I didn't know that one. Grandma Nut, though, you think that she's That sounds in there? real to me. I, I think, think it was two T's at the end. <laughs> nice. Because I think Grandma Nut can put the smack down on the Candy Crush people if they yeah. send a letter about Candyland. Mm. If your name is Grandma Nut, you are not to be messed with. I think that's probably it's, right. That's my guess. I think that's probably right. Uh, and, and to this listener who goes unnamed, we will try to do something about our Google ranking. Uh, I think what people can do, though, Joe, and this is before we really jump in, we got a lot to talk about today. Big show. Big, big show. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but you want to help us with that ranking? Oh, yeah. Go, you know, first of all, like us on Facebook. Like the oral argument on Facebook. Because we have a Facebook page. We now page. have a Facebook page per the listener's suggestion. Secondly, go on iTunes. Rate the show. Rate yeah. the show. Five stars. Or? Or don't rate the show. Or and link to it on your own pages because yes. that's what'll move you up the Google ranking. Uh, yeah, we yeah, we I right exactly yeah. So if you if you have a blog and Google, if you're listening, please do not block us for engaging in search algorithm manipulation. But my point about iTunes star reviews is, as you say, five is awesome. If you don't want to give us a five, write us an email about why you don't want to give us a five. And, but do not not give us a five. Give us a five and then write us an email about why you didn't <laughs> want to do that. Uh, I'm willing to actually. I'm willing to actually let the person not rate it and just talk to us first. But okay, well, there are different strategies. There are different ways to deal with this. Um, and and you can also leave a review, but you don't have to. You can rate us without leaving a review. How about we engage in behavior which might actually cause them to give us five stars? I, haven't we been doing that? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I guess we'll leave today, that up to Today is going to be a five-star performance. <laughs> I think it's going to be too. <laughs> All right. So I already did the introduction, but I don't know if I'm going to cut that out. This is Christina Mulligan. She teaches with us. I think that's all you need to know. We're going to talk about what, like uh, computer stuff today, right? Computer stuff, the mm-hmm. internet, intellectual property, mm-hmm. other random things that are interesting that yeah. don't neatly fit into a category, but are worth bantering over. So let's, uh, let's should we get right to it? We should. Uh, net neutrality. Mm. Are are is that is that like is that like in between net lawful good and net chaotic evil? You've gotten it down exactly, <laughs> Christian. And you know that's so impressive because it's such a complex issue that most people can't just yeah. like boil it down that specifically. Right. right. <laughs> I certain. Oh, if it does, if it. Oh, there we go. A little more Darcy. Whoa, Whoa. Darcy, what's up? It's just someone. Yeah, there's outside. lawful net neutrality, mm-hmm. chaotic net neutrality. Exactly. Uh, I figured it probably involved a D20 somewhere in there. Exactly, exactly. It's a dog. It's a dog out there just wandering around. Mm. Yeah. That doesn't scary. sound like a good idea. We got lots of interruptions today. I don't why is the dog just wandering around? Is there no owner with the dog? I don't I don't know. That's not safe for the dog or people driving in your neighborhood. Yeah, people don't drive in my neighborhood. Why don't we stop the show and go find the dog? No, we don't gotta do that. <laughs> I'm actually tempted to do that, but um, okay. Since Darcy's yeah. not barking anymore. Recentering for a moment. Recentering. Recentering. Net neutrality. Um, on, on net neutrality. So um, are, you, are you in favor of net neutrality? You know, so there's, there's a couple things that um, that this, re- this question reveals about what I, the way I think about regulation. And it's that I think it is quite possible that net neutrality will be um, necessary at some point. But I'm before something becomes a big problem, I'm often hesitant to um, create rules to fix it in case those rule, rules cause unintended consequences. Right. So, so to this point, there have been kind of hints that discrimination um, by ISPs might cause problems, but the, the cases have been relatively few. And so I think I, I would agree that it's quite 
possibly going to be something that's necessary at some point, but I'm I'm a little bit more of a wait and see person. So I'm I mean I'm a little agnostic let's, on net neutrality. Let's make this real for people because I think a lot of our listeners people. don't know what net neutrality is. They they and pro- might not know what the problem is that a regulation might be responsive to. Right. And like what when would you know you were looking at a problem? So we've got to know yeah. a little bit about how the internet so works. So why don't we back up and talk about Oh yeah. gosh, so many things. Yes. Okay. So the way stuff moves on the internet. <laughs> is it trucks or tubes? It's it's both. It's, okay. it's trucks <laughs> driving through. So there's these trucks and they drive through tubes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, you know, if you think about um a play, you know, there's your computer, there's a message you want to send or content you want to get, um and there's the computer that that content is hosted on or that you're trying to send a message or something like that. Um and the way that um message travels is that copies are made um, between your computer, a computer it's connected to, a computer it's connected to, um, through a series of computers until it gets where it's going. There's a lot of, um, uh, computers are connected through sort of a long line of, other. Uh, that's a terrible way of explaining it. Yeah, it's all right. No, but that, that, <laughs> that's the original theory of the internet, right? It's, right. A, it's a network of networks, and the, and the principal idea is that you can get from any one point on the internet to any other point. Uh, by, you know, going through your own network, hopping on some backbone. Originally, there was one backbone, and now yeah. it's decentralized. And then those backbones will get you to the to the network on which your destination machine is, and eventually through some hops, you'll get there, right? Right. So basically, you're, you're sending your message up through larger networks until you get to what kind of we would colloquially call like the middle of the internet, um, and then it goes back down through smaller networks until it gets to the place that it's going most of the time. Right. Um, so the, the net neutrality issue is the um, the assumption is that each of these networks is just sort of moving um, small pieces of information called packets um, without determining like what kind of information it is. Is this an email? Is this a piece of a video from this source? Is this a song from this source? Um, and the idea of um, so it is like trucks. It's like it's like the post office delivering your mail if it, without opening up the letter, looking at what's inside, and deciding well it's a right. bill and. They've paid us more, this company that's billing, so we're going to get it there faster. They don't. They don't do that. Yeah. So the the worry about um, is that uh, internet service providers will start favoring certain kinds of content over others, either based on the fact that they have a business relationship with um, a certain company, or maybe they don't like the content of a certain. Um, uh, the content of some content, which sounds circular, but you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, um, yeah. And that they will choose to route information faster or slower based on these kinds of criterion, and that that um, would be undesirable. And so there is sort of a more proactive movement to um, mandate network neutrality, um, which would basically mean that you can't discriminate against what information is traveling through your networks unless you're doing so to you know keep the network functioning um, well or correctly. An, um, an analogy, another analogy, in addition to like the postal one, because, you know, we're, we're still, we, we have not got o- gotten over the post office yet. What do you mean we haven't gotten over the <laughs> from post last office? Time. Oh, from, from the, from it's, it's a Yeah, we're still, we're, right. we're still, you know, it's still ringing in our ears yeah. on the last episode. Because um, it was so good. Yeah, oh, it was great. They five all, stars. They've all been great. I gave it five stars. Did you? Yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah, I will. Give us five I'll stars go on early iTunes often. And I'll, Absolutely. I'll give five stars. Um, uh, <laughs> but another one might be like, you know, imagine that uh, the interstate highway system and all the roads connected to it were owned by a whole bunch of different people, right? And that some of them wanted to charge more for certain kinds of cars and whether those cars originated from one of their road networks or not and depends on where people pay taxes. So that's generally not the way we operate, although there are regulations for heavy trucks and things like yeah. that so there but but that, those are interesting to think about like yeah. the fact that if you're if you're running a toll road the fact that you might want to charge more for 
a vehicle that is heavier, uh, one proxy for which is that it has more axles, um, on the ground that it wears and tears on the road more than lighter vehicles do, which have fewer axles. Um, that's a sensible, it seems to me, if you want to charge people s- some correlation to their usage, the wear and tear they put on the road, charging more for a multi-axle car sounds like a good idea. And right? this is one of the controversies with the proposed network neutrality regulations that just got struck down by the D.C. Circuit was that it allowed for um, discrimination for um you know, reasonable network management purposes. And the question was like, well, what does that mean? Right? Like a lot of the, a lot of the most controversial content or the content that um, ISPs would be most likely to want to um, make move faster or slower is video, which is also the kind that's most um, burdensome on a network. And that you'd be also most likely to be like, well, if we slow this down, everything else will move faster. And that's going to be really convenient for people or something like that. And so there was this sort of question over whether, um, uh, will we always be able to tell what is reasonable network management and what is being discriminatory in a bad way? No, can, can we, we, when, yeah, you say, when you say w- people would most want to slow that down because it's video, what do you mean? Their business motivation would be to slow down video? Right. So so one of the arguments was that because Comcast has its own content now or its own relationships, that it will want to keep it the video content that it is has a relationship with um, fast and want to slow down other video content. So one of the early network neutrality uh, controversies was over Comcast appearing to slow down BitTorrent traffic, um, which, um, you know, they said it was for network management purposes. Um, the the counter argument was, no, it wasn't because you're not slowing down um, other large files or video files. And we think this is because you're worried about um maybe it competing with um with your content with your business. content or um the fact or or pressure more more sorry more likely that you know pressure because a lot of BitTorrent content was pirated mm. material so pressure from content companies to like well make that less convenient for people um and it was you know the the it was not absolutely clear in that different um you know decision makers in the in the in the, the 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 hearings and such were you know swayed different ways. Can all right. So I want to. Um, we have this very simple picture of the internet that we talked about, right? Yeah. With these uh, your ISPs, various kinds of backbones or different kinds of providers, and you know it's like uh, like uh, limited access roads and then entry ramps and then a, some kind of information superhighway. That's, mm. that's what I call the internet, by the way. Cool. Uh, and then you get Is back, that original? That, did you come yeah, up with I, that? Yeah, I did come up with that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I invented the information superhighway. Oh, that's so Yeah, nice. it is. Yeah, most people don't know this. Um, no credit. No credit. Uh, but in, so this simple picture that you basically you want to, uh, so if I want to download a song from iTunes, right? The, the, the simple picture is that I need to reach one of Apple's servers, right? And so I initiate a request. It gets handed off between a bunch of uh, switches and routers and networky type things. And I go from computer to computer, network to network until I get to Apple's computer sitting in some room somewhere. But that's not actually how content is delivered these days. So, uh, I don't forget what it is with Netflix, but with Netflix, um, it was like 20% of all internet traffic over 30% over 30% yeah. of all internet. really yes over, slightly over evenings, 30% in, in the evenings wow. at least and yeah it must be time dependent sure yeah i mean it's just it's an incredible amount so the question is how do these very you know how do we get these rap, uh, rapid access to, uh, on such a large scale and the, and the answer is that you don't when you when you request a piece of content you don't actually go 
to everyone doesn't go to a particular machine anymore. So there's these well, content there, multiple there are these content delivery networks which specialize in getting content uh, to people who request it, and they locate servers all over the place. Um, so things in lots of different networks, many copies of things on those different servers, Ma- many copies, so and they can also move them around dynamically, right? Uh, so it's not just you know the simplest example of kind of. Uh, dealing with a lot of traffic is to have a bunch of uh, a bunch of servers where you might just have one, and then you kind of make copies of your content on those servers, and you route people kind of randomly as they come into those different servers, and there you're serving up, you know, uh, a file from five machines instead of one, and maybe that's faster. But here, all these machines are scattered all over basically the world, um, and they uh, move content around dynamically. So if there's a lot of demand for something in one place, they'll host that file really close. They'll direct people to that place and they may they may figure out where you're requesting from so you know they may uh, serve me up my netflix from someplace i guess in atlanta probably i don't know where it comes from but closer to where i am um so this is you know there there are businesses that specialize in this and i guess it's level three which is uh serves netflix and apple and some of the other big i don't know but amazon has its own thing though right i think amazon has uh cloud front which I may be its own deal. Anyway, we don't know. It doesn't really matter the, the details of it, but but the, the point is that uh, for most massive demand on the internet, it doesn't work according to that very simple model we have in our heads anymore. But and so it's all about deals between the different networks to basically put either co-locate machines in the same area, um, you know, so an ISP like uh, Charter or Comcast, you know, there's an advantage uh, uh, to, uh, to their end users to actually host the content in the same is it the same server area is it the same data center where they where they do their network operations i don't know um so i think what you're getting at is that um there's there's a little bit of a, a movement that we see in this this new netflix comcast deal um for isps to directly connect to yeah. some of the content providers i was trying to tee that up because um, i want to show that it's or at least i want to kind of explore how complicated the net neutrality picture is in, yeah because yeah. that's outside of the the net neutrality question in a certain sense right so the um the the idea of network neutrality sort of imagines that you know um comcast is connecting to the rest of the internet at some point and it's getting a bunch of traffic that has a lot of different content and that from that kind of single stream it starts differentiating how they treat the packets of information um the, the the Netflix Comcast deal kind of routes around that whole issue. And there's a, a nice piece in the Washington Post by Tim Lee um, where he calls network that this deal makes network neutrality absolutely obsolete. And what he's saying is that, you know, it's creating another pathway. It's saying Netflix made a deal with Comcast to have a direct connection yep. um, uh, so that there's a good quality, there's a good quality connection and that people can stream um, um, uh, uh, without interruption. Um, and that, that, uh, connection is going to be independent of, um, where Comcast is getting other content. Right. Um, cause right now, you know, there's, there's, there's still, even with content delivery networks, middlemen networks between Comcast and Netflix. Um, right. and you know, those, you know, that creates, uh, some uncertainty, mm-hmm. um, things can still get, um, clogged up um but at the same time some people say that this deal comes from the fact that comcast was discriminating and you know it's right. it's, it's not it's not entirely clear what's happening because this is sort of private companies going behind the scenes and we don't um, know all the terms of the deal but uh, but the essence of it is right that if uh after well if, if it is like i've heard of it 
uh, it's not even the right way to say it. I'm gonna have to cut all this out, Joe. I'm stumbling all over myself today. But but the idea is that even if uh, if Comcast were somehow severed from all of the other uh, tier one providers and uh, and wasn't actually able to hop around anymore, so th- so if you're a Comcast Comcast subscriber, all you get is Comcast Network. That it would actually be hosting a lot of Netflix's stuff in its own, so you would still get access to Netflix, even though you couldn't get to the Netflix server. Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I don't. Maybe I just don't know the terms of the deal. I thought that it was that they were connecting directly to Netflix, but not that they would be necessarily hosting, hosting the content yeah. themselves. But you know, it's I don't know. It, maybe, yeah. maybe 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 they're going to be like right. five inches away from each other, and so it's a distinction without a difference. But I don't right. I don't know exactly what the the terms are. But you know, one thing that's worth mentioning and is a really important part of the the whole question of network neutrality is the the lack of competition um, for the average the the average individual person in getting internet access, and that's yeah. where we get a lot of the. Um, a lot of the market power of internet service providers. So, you know, we're most, we're, where most people live, they only have one or two options for fast internet connections. Right. Um, and I've so, got one. I've got one option. Yeah. Um, and so, mo- you know, those companies, which are largely um, Comcast, Verizon, AT&T, um, uh, my have local, a lot of My power. local horrible provider is Charter. There you go. Uh, mine is also charter. Yeah. Um, but there. So anyway, it's 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 complicated how the the relationships are between different. If you're um, listening, and you work for charter. But... You, I'm sure, lovely people. <laughs> right. It's just could be better. Website's terrible. But anyway, it uh, it is. <laughs> yeah. You can say that, Joe. You don't have to. You don't have to mouth it. Anyway, go ahead. Um. But but anyway, you know that that lack of competition um cr- creates a lot of power for those companies because there's only you know one way to access that customer base. Um. And so um, you see you know, this sort of double charging, Comcast is charging Netflix to send it content, and then it's charging its customers to receive content. And it's because they're in such a um, a strong um, position, because there's not really a lot of other options for the end users to get access yeah, to the internet. And there are a couple, you know, there, there are several different things that make people, you know, I think nervous about this. One is that um, I had thought that the traditional economics, if you can even call it that, of the internet was that... Uh, the providers made money from their customers, their subscribers, and then they had uh, um, peering arrangements with one another. And the peering arrangements would just route traffic between them and there would be no money changing hands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of, you know, is a, is a step towards changing that maybe? So, yeah, but it also, it, it, it's a, it almost makes sense, right? Because peering arrangements were based on the idea that um, between two large, ne- you know, you have um, a large network in, you know, the United States, and you have like British Telecom or something, and the idea is that yeah. the um, the the customers of British Telecom have as much of an interest in reaching the people that um, that provide that that Comcast provides access to as vice versa, right? And so, since it's yeah. roughly going to be even, um, we may as well just call it a wash and just connect with each other without anybody paying each other. But as you get um, uh, because the balance more, of payments would wind up being basically zero, right? Basically, I mean, and you could get Picayune, but like, why do that when it might change next year? Yeah. Um, but when um, there's so much video traffic which is which is huge right you know we think right. of you know you you download a you know a, a 1 hour television show and it's like 500 megabytes yeah. um creates a real imbalance in terms of how much Netflix you know, is sending me a lot more much, than I'm sending Netflix. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so it does change. Um, it, so the the idea behind peering um, is let is is not doesn't hold up in this environment. So you know, there's there's some kind of change on 
the horizon anyway, potentially, because it just doesn't economically make sense to have the same arrangement in all cases. Well, let's go back to the subscriber end of this thing. So I'm paying I- Charter an unholy amount of money each month. Joe, Joe looks like he wants to. Yeah. So what do you? What, what, well, I'm very. I'm unhappy with the fact that we haven't. So I don't think we've gotten to a huge chunk of what I think people might be talking about when they talk about network neutrality, which is the notion that all you know all packets are equal, mm-hmm. and so we'll just care. The way the network is built is that all the stuff being carried on it is the same. The people who are carrying it don't know what it is, don't look at what it is. They just carry it from point A to point B. These other things that you're talking about are very important to a customer, to a company, but they don't require, at least I haven't heard you say anything that suggests that these arrangements would require you to develop an approach to the internet that said, you know, we've got blue packets, green packets, yellow packets, and we treat them differently. You get charged differently for carrying blue versus red. Uh, and, and, and so to me that, and maybe Christina did mention this to me that, that, um, or maybe you said this was Tim Lee's argument in a way that does sort of say, we don't need to talk about network neutrality because I don't want to change the way the packets get carried. And I don't want to change the fact that they're all treated equally. What I want to do is have side deals so that some of the people who are sending a lot more in one direction than they receive in another have an arrangement that works better for them physically. Uh, given that the backdrop for their agreement is all packets are going to have to get treated equally. So so since we can't change that, we have to do this other thing instead, right? Um, and is is the uh, I thought the neutrality point was the first point, which is the way the network is built is that all the packets are the same and they all get treated equally and... And, and this, was the concern, the inter- this was the concern before the deal was struck where people started to say, I'm noticing I'm on Comcast and my Netflix speeds are a lot lower than other people's network so, speeds. Which so, might cause you to question whether or not they were in fact observing the imperative that packets get treated equally. Exactly. Right. right now, yeah. if it, so so I'm, that, that is a real concern because that does violate that principle. If I start, yeah. but, you know, every packet that I can tell from the network equipment comes from location X where I think the Netflix servers are, I'm going to try to slow down, right? That Yeah, that would be bad mm-hmm. if I'm slowing it down in order to make my own products more appealing to people. That would violate that idea. But or if I'm needs- trying to extract money from Netflix. For either reason, right. it, you'd be bothered by right. it. Right, and I might be doing both simultaneously. People will like mine in the interim, and then when they get around to paying me off, I'll be nice again. Um so, so I, you know that that set of concerns is one which where people really are. But I guess what I wanted to get on the table was just the idea that there's there's a background principle: all packets are equal. And in a world where all packets are equal, intelligence, such as it is, will have to be at the edge of the network and not in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, then that's a background, and then we can do these other things on top of that background. Yeah. So, so I think there's two things in play. One is um, the reason we we care more about the edges is because of the lack of competition. Because in the sort of middle, there's um, a lot more options for how to route traffic. And so, if someone's um, acting poorly, um, there's sort of more competition in terms of how you get from point A to point B in the middle. Um, you know, the I, I think what you're you know what you're getting at there's just 
like three things that I want to say. That's the first one. <laughs> everything the is connected one, to everything else in this area. Everything else. Um, the 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 second thing is that um, you know it. We already kind of agree that not all packets are created equal. In that, um, you know, the 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 example always used is if your email arrives four seconds later, no big deal. But if you're streaming audio content or video content, you want it to arrive at exactly the pace it's supposed to arrive, um, so that your experience is uninterrupted, right? Sure. So there's there's totally um, um, good reasons to discriminate against traffic. But I think the the discussion mm. that you Oh no! I mean, in that kind of case, the, no. There's good reasons. If it were costless, to, if saying, it were costless I, to price discriminate, I'm saying, re- no, no. I'm saying there's no, 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 there's, no, 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 no. Wait, me, wait. You do you disagree that the email and video difference is, is a real one? I don't disagree with it at all. You said that's a good reason to discriminate. I don't no, no, think that. I don't it, think. No, that's no, no. True I'm saying that. I'm saying that is. Sorry, the, she's not the, saying it's the, decisive. She's saying it no, is no, a I'm, reason. I'm saying that. I'm <laughs> saying that. Cho- that. I'm saying that choosing to um, say privilege video content over content that you think is an email. Makes sense on a technical level in terms of giving a good product to your customers. It does. And, All right. But that's, and that's, that's, that's the ju- only. Let me just interject. Only- I wish I could show these hands. No, 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 no. You got the, the, the problem. The problem is um, really comes down to transparency, right? Like, um, you. It is yes. when Comcast is saying um, we're doing this because Netflix is slowing down our system, versus we're doing this because we want Netflix to pay us. Like, it's hard to know without knowing what's going on on the inside. Oh, oh. We know. And cle- <laughs> <laughs> we know, but you know, a good a, a good thing that came it's out the of the, the, the network neutrality decision from the DC Circuit is that they struck down lots of the open internet order, but they kept the transparency section. So there's a chance that everything will be fine because you're supposed, at least theoretically, we're supposed to know now why discrimination, when discrimination is happening, and so there will be the ability to have more of a public discussion over why. Um, networks are behaving in a certain way, but maybe that won't work. I have to. Say, okay, now you can. In connection with your your uh, assertion, which is right but incomplete, in my opinion. Of course, it's incomplete. <laughs> um, that uh, when you when you notice uh, that uh, there is a quality of service issue with the delivery of voice that there isn't with the delivery of email, mm-hmm. one response to that might be, "Gosh." At this moment, given my quality of service concern and given the current state of technology, I wish I could discriminate against voice packets and email packets. That's Mm -hmm. one response. Another response would be, we need to improve the infrastructure so that the lowest quality service it can provide is better than what is needed for voice. That's inefficient. That's inefficient. It may or may not be if we take the short-term view or the long-term view into account. If we think the demand for voice delivery is sufficiently robust, it's simply a matter of getting there in less time rather than more time. And I don't, and, and you can make an argument about efficiency in that respect. And that it could be worth considering. But my point is that in the second situation, what you say is the principle I will not negotiate on is the one that all the packets have to be equal. Well, see, that's, I, I, this is, Christine is making an, a, 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 what I think is a very interesting point, and that is at least um, um, in theory correct, and, uh, <laughs> I think. Uh, um, and that, you know, we can always do more with more speed. Right. I mean, we, we there will. I don't think there will ever come a time where we say that this is fast enough. There will always be new applications which will open up with faster speeds, and there will be some applications that don't need any more speed. And so, you know, for the cons- you know foreseeable horizon, and I think until 
network speeds or, you know, where it's really the speed of light is the only, you know, I, uh, um, it, it seems to me that there will always be good technical reasons and, you know, human preference reasons to privilege some traffic over other traffic. And so to try to, to get an email to your inbox as fast as you get um, the very next packet in an, a Netflix stream when you've already have the old packet having arrived uh, is inefficient, right? And uh, um, the network is kind of doing the wrong thing. Now, the question is, can you do that in a way that... So, in other words, what is the incentive of your ISP, right, to discriminate in the right way? And what is its incentive to discriminate in the wrong way? And I think it all comes back to the fact that we have these companies which own the wires to your house, right? They own the wires as to which they have a monopoly, maybe, maybe not a natural monopoly. I kind of want to talk about that because that would be the case for regulation. Um, uh, and they own content providers and they have other kinds of market uh, and they own, and they own content uh, producers and, and they have other kinds of market incentives, right? It's not clear to me why we let companies who own the wires do anything else. Um, uh, but we can, we can get to that. But if that was all that they had, would they just, they own the wires and their, uh, the quality of service was determined by how happy people were with the things they received over the, over those wires, then I think their incentives would be perfectly aligned if they did discriminate amongst traffic to discriminate in maybe the right way. All right. That's my, that's my piece. No one's saying anything. <laughs> Is it because you just are you, are you seething with rage, Joe? No, not at all. I just think it's I think you're conceptually throwing in the towel way too fast on the notion that there could be an independent value served by trying to adhere to the technological principle that the network is not enabled to have people treat different packets differently. That yet you given the human reason why at any given state of technology some people might have some preference for packets being treated differently. But what do you mean it's not enabled? Because, I mean, they do, there is some, I mean, enabled technology. I mean, we know that there is some discrimination that happens in terms of, like, we know that networks do, so it is enabled. To right, right. I'm saying what's the what's the sort of, what's the, um, the standard against which all these other things are judged? And okay. so any departure from it would be, you could describe it concretely, you would have a theory for why that was an appropriate departure, but your baseline expectation would always be, we're trying as much as possible mm. to build the thing that works this way. I, and I the reason understand. why building a thing that works this way yeah. is better than building it some other way right. is because of it be, precisely because it doesn't allow people to get their hands around I, I, look, the stuff I happening at the edges. I understand the argument that it's worth adhering to a principle of packet... Um, equality, right? Because anything else, although perhaps in theory more efficient, leads to bad incentives, or it's too costly to determine people's preferences with respect to every packet, and applications are always changed. I can understand that. That uh, I can understand an argument that um, uh, a, a kind of a Pareto efficient packet sy delivery system, one which is just delivering exactly according to people's preferences, like. Uh, would be great, but not exactly possible. And so the second best solution is all packets are equal. I don't understand that as a first best system. Um, uh, Fair enough. Because, you know, I don't, there's, you know, packets aren't human beings. They don't have equal rights, right? right? I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand the, but I don't, I don't quite understand to, to twit you a little bit. I don't quite understand why the best opening line for a conversation is if things were perfect, they would be perfect. That's not very illuminating. 
Well, but I think it's important to say, uh, and this is what I, you know, and I, I wasn't, you know, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here because, you know, Christina has me thinking whether I really support uh, network neutrality, at least in, in, in principle. Um, uh, I think it can be useful to understand the reason for this network neutrality principle, the reason for the packet equality principle. And uh, um, it, it's because it, it, it has a certain emotional weight that comes with the phrase about equality and discrimination and all these terms that it's piggybacking on. Yeah, true. Uh, whereas the, you know, the best, you know, in an ideal world where there was either some omniscient dictator or we were able cautiously to transmit information among each other, right? We would discriminate among packets. We would get the packets we cared about most their fastest, right? And yeah. everything would go according to speed. And that would most efficiently allocate scarce bandwidth. Now, in a world with unlimited bandwidth and speeds, none of this matters. But in a world with some scarcity, you want to allocate that scarcity in a way, just like with any other kind of property, right? In a way that that optimizes preferences, in a world where you can't satisfy them all to the maximum degree. So that makes sense to me, and it cuts against the strongest emotional reaction you might have to a so-called equality principle among packets. Right. So I think that's completely right, and that the the more sophisticated um, pro-net neutrality position is that we don't trust these people to be making exactly. those decisions yeah. based on what uh, satisfies customers best in terms of um, what they get faster, um, but it's more about um, increasing their own uh, economic position in a in a sort of unsavory, you know, an unsavory way or a way that we think is is not appropriate given their privileged monopoly in the system. And there would be two things, right? It's the bad, and they have the wrong incentives, and in, in, um, uh, that would be one argument. The other is that the kind of ideal discrimination that we've been talking about requires a lot of sophistication, I think, and, and a lot of good technology. And I've seen cable internet providers' websites. <laughs> and uh, so I question. I seriously. Right, and if that's any proxy for. I seriously question their competence, and I and I certainly question their incentives. And that's so. So if there's a case for regulating at the ISP level to prevent them from engaging in basically hold up. To, if we think that the Netflix deal was the result of a kind of hold up, right, where we're going to throttle your traffic mm. unless you pay us, and we're going that we're going to recover at the end of the customer and at the end of the content provider. Um, uh, you know what? Where does you know, and we're thinking about where does that market power come from? Should they have that market power? Um, are they trying to tax Netflix in order to c- better compete in the market with their own content stuff? Why do we even allow people who own wires to own content? Yeah, what I don't do know. we? I don't know why we do. Why do we? What do, what do you? Th- I, I mean, it's the absence Christine, you, of you a rule that says you yeah. can't, right? And so, uh, right. So why don't we have a rule that says you can't? Yeah. Um. So this is so the, the this sort of gets at the the FCC's poor handling of the broad broadcast inter, broad, yeah, broadband internet in general right which is something that i actually want to talk about because it's a little more rule of law e yeah let's right? go all right that's right so yeah. the 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 dc circuit struck down kind of the core of the network neutrality regulations that the fcc had promulgated but they they struck it down on a very administrative law nuancy reason which is that at a previous point the fcc had designated broadband internet as a information service provider instead of a telecommunication service provider which are these poorly defined things and it kind of could have been 
defined either way, but they defined it as an information service provider, which meant they couldn't treat it as a common carrier, um, regulated the same way we regulate the phone systems. Um, and so when they promulgated these rules, which sort of effectively created that common carrier kind of regulation, the D.C. Circuit said, well, you already said it was an information service provider, not a telecommunications service provider. You can't treat an information service provider like a common carrier. You'd have to go back and in that formal way that you have to as an administrative agency say, hey, we're going to reinterpret the law. Um, we're going to explain to you why, and we're going to do this transparently and openly. Because if we don't do that, then we're just, you know, not following rule of law, and we're just doing whatever we want um, in an unprincipled manner. But but um, if you redesignate, if you successfully designate these cable companies to be, or these ISPs yeah. to be, because that's not the only kind of internet service provider. Yeah, if yeah. you designate these ISPs to be telecom companies, yes. you can then impose common carriage style obligations. Yes. Because you will have properly designated them, then you can go through the rulemaking that would transparently yeah. oblige so, them to behave this way. Tell yeah. people what, what's the what, what are the reasons that we treat um, telecommunications providers? I know it's a term of art, but I think everybody has in mind what they are, like the yeah. you know the uh, you know telephone company providers, basically. Right. And uh, what, what are the reasons that we have uh, common carriage um, restrictions, and what are some of those common carriage yeah. restrictions? So it comes out of this idea that there are um, sometimes private parties that have a kind of important role in the way that could be almost government-like in the way that things work. So if you're the only guy that runs a boat across a river, um, if you run a train company, if you're the only hotel on a highway 100 years ago, um, there was this notion that you have an obligation to the public to... Um, um, you know, not not discriminate and to be kind of open to whoever comes in able to pay. Um, so that it's not just that you have a monopoly; it's that you pro you have a monopoly of access to a broader portion of the economy. Um, that you have a, a monopoly to something that's sort of important in a certain way for the public to be able to access. Right. Um, and it wasn't. Uh, you know, to, so, so you have to treat all comers on even on an even on footing. an even footing. Um, until you know, if your if your train is full, your boat is full, your hotel is full, then you can start turning people away, and you don't have an obligation sort of beyond that. But that until that point, you have to um, uh, offer um, the sort of same service for the same price to the people who are who are coming in. Um, and so that that idea got ported over to telephone companies several decades ago. And mm -hmm. so the idea is that that you know may also make sense in the the um the the internet provider context because we have a similar um kind of private party that has a um you know sort of monopoly over people's ability to access the internet which is increasingly important and the idea with the life. phone system is that a phone system where any person can call any other person is much better than a phone system in which that is only a either a probability or possibility Right. If I right. know that I can reach anybody else, that's a great phone system. If I can only maybe reach other people, that's a terrible phone system. Right. And so we. And it becomes a vital service too. It's like it connects you right. to government offices. It connects you to other private parties. It connects you to the emergency ambulance. Yeah. Service. That's what I was trying to suggest yeah. that these, there are these things which, you know, they're, they're uh, channels of commerce that, uh, um, where if someone blocks, uh, at that stage, it's not just that they're denying you the service that they provide. It's they're denying you access to a broader portion of the economy like it's hard to participate in modern life if you can't use a telephone right yeah. 
Uh, and uh, especially, you know, uh, like a traditional telephone, like 20 or 30 years ago, it was just impossible, right? It's very hard to participate in, uh, to create businesses and expand those businesses if you can't stay in any hotels or you can't take the one train that goes between the two. So these are like, these are like choke points where you can like basically, you know, people are willing to pay because you can drown them out of participating in the rest of the economy. And so what's interesting about this is they're trying to, as I understand it, reclassify uh, these ISPs as telecommunications providers in order to take advantage of that when really what's well, happened. Have to. Well, but the when really what's that happened, they should, but they, they've chosen not to. And there's a lot of internal discussion over why that has Well, why let me give you a reason why. I mean, because I think it's worked the other way, right? So what's happened is not so much that they have become more telecommunications-like. Uh, and this is just a broad, this is not legal term of art description or admin law. This is just generally recognizing changes in, in the economy that have occurred. It's that information service providers have become more, uh, uh, ha- have taken on common carriage characteristics. That is, it's very hard to participate in the national economy if you don't have access to the internet, right? You can't build a business, uh, really, at least a, a lot of different kinds of businesses, without access to the internet. So the internet is now a vital service. So it's not that they have become more telecom-like. It's that they are now common carriers, right? Uh, uh, it's uh, especially if they have a monopoly in your area, like I do. If I want to start a business out of my home, I've got to use charter uh, communications, right? And I have to pay what they ask me to pay. Um, so th- anyway, so I, I can understand, um, you know, why, at least in theory, you would you would say no. We want to apply common carrier restrictions to ISPs, but I also understand, you know, legally how you'd want to recharacterize yourself in order to take advantage of all the law that's already there. But I don't know if that's actually how it, you know, in other words, if we can characterize the ISPs as telecom providers, then a lot of stuff happens automatically, right? Yeah, basically. Um, It's the, the, I think what I was trying to get at is that there's a lot of um, criticism that the, 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 the network neutrality rules were struck down. And I think you just, you know, it's a totally different value, right? It's not whether they were good or bad, but whether, this was sort of lawmaking done in the right, right. way, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know, it. You know, maybe I'm just not enough of a legal realist, um, mm-hmm. but you know, I I think it's important that we do lawmaking in the right way, according to the right rules, in a transparent manner, and that the question over whether the rules should have stood or not is totally um, perpendicular to the question of whether they're good or bad rules. Yeah, and and this, as I understand the opinion, like like you'd said earlier, it didn't hold that that the agency could not come up with regulations like this. It's just that it didn't do it in the right way, as you say. Right? It, it not, not in the, not in the uh, broadband box, only in the telecom box. Yeah, not in the information service provider box, only in the telecommunications service provider box, which are defined in ways where thing, a lot of things could quite arguably fit into both. So let me ask you this. Okay, so okay. A, if we're going to, and, and you mentioned at the outset of our discussion, I don't know if it's going to stay in or not. <laughs> but... Um, that, you know, you're hesitant about regulation. That's like your personal disposition yeah. is this uh, suspicion of regulation um, unless there are, you know, good reasons. Because uh, if there aren't really good reasons, then you worry about the unintended consequences, blah, 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 blah. blah, 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 blah. Typical kind of like uh, kind of Burkean type conservatism, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and so one very traditional justification for regulation is uh, that the entity – uh, that you're regulating as a natural monopoly, right? Uh, and so actually we're better off if there's only one firm. So natural monopolies are, into, are, are is basically an area of the economy in which it would be wasteful to have more than one firm, right? Uh, so things like, you know, maybe provision of electricity through a hydroelectric dam or something like that. You know, if you, you can most cheaply provide 
energy to say a small community by building one dam. You don't want two companies building separate dams or one company to build a dam and another company to build some other expensive thing. So it's generally in these areas with like really high fixed startup costs and then very low marginal cost of provision after that. And it's not and it's not magic. I mean, you started mentioning the the ideas just there where if the cost of providing the service falls through the entire range of demand. Mm-hmm. Like there's 10,000 people, okay, serving the 10,000th winds up being cheaper for everybody than serving the 9,999th. Adding one more, it makes it all cheaper. Why? Because the cost of doing it is through the entire range of demand keeps falling. Yeah. The more people you add. Well, if that's true, as you say, it makes no sense to break it up into two different people providing the service. Just have one do it. Have one do it. You get so. the most economy of scale. You get the, And so all of us actually want there to be only one. Yes. It's not that that company oh, wants no. to be the only one. It's, all of us want there to right. be only one because it's right. the lowest cost way of doing it. And it would be – so it would be wasteful to have more than one right. company. But the problem is if there is only one company, uh, that company gets to dictate terms of access. And if access is critical to participation in the economy, to vital services, right. then it – it represents a pretty extreme uh, kind of uh, coercion or at least course of possibility. In addition to the fact that naturally the natural monopolist will want to charge the profit maximizing price, which is different than the allocatively efficient price, blah, blah, blah. We won't go into all that. Uh, but there are very good reasons that you need to regulate natural monopolists or, or monopolists which arise from natural monopoly. Now, if you're a monopolist in over an area of the economy, which is not a natural monopoly, well, then we might say, well, maybe we should break that thing up, right? There's not a good reason to have a monopoly there. <laughs> right. So one question that I have right. for you is, do you think that cable providers, the wire providers, the people who run the wires to your house, is that a natural monopoly? So I don't know because I'm not sure about who the competitors are, who, who, who which competitive structures count in the following sense. So if we go back in time when yeah. people used dial-up connections to access the internet, mm-hmm. there was a lot of competition because it was quite easy to call any a, a variety of different phone right. numbers yeah. um, to get internet access. Um, now, it, it strictly speaking, it's probably a natural monopoly for there to be like the one wire that comes to your house, right? The physical... Um, and it's not it doesn't seem like a fair comp not fair competition but like it's it's no competition to say well you could dial your phone because that connection is going to be too, right. way too slow to be um competitive but you know there's and to um, be clear though there are areas of the country where there is both fiber and cable wires or where there is more than one cable wire or more than one company has access to the same wires yeah but in a lot of areas of the country like mine there's the phone line and there's the one cable provider. Um, but yeah. yeah. Don't we also but there need are, to add non-wire? Yes, that's where I'm going with this, yes. which is that there's, you know, going going sort of more technologically advanced, um, people are watching movies um, and films and very like high bandwidth content through their phones more often. There's satellite internet connections. And so there's a lot of people that say those will never be able to carry the amount of content to compete with the wire providers, that it's just not going to be technologically possible. But in, in some way, there's some competition, right? In the sense that, you know, and except for your Netflix streaming, you can get um, basically everything but movies through um, the the mobile phone networks, yeah. right? And LTE so, right now, right, yeah. right. And so, um, is it, it? It's sort of a natural monopoly in the sense that it doesn't make sense for someone else to come in and lay um, to, and lay wires so that you have two different companies that can provide you broadband cable, right? Right. But are there other kinds of services that compete with some internet 
services that you get from wires, yes. And so, um, and you it's should have a natural hesitation. A natural monopoly. I mean, I think it's a great. This is a great example because um, technology is changing rapidly. Yeah. And by the time we get around to like strict regulations because of the natural monopoly status of the wire providers, maybe other you know there'll be intermodal competition, right? And yeah. and wire. So, I, did you see this P cell demo? This what? The P-Cell demo that I... I linked it up on like the... No, what is this? Uh, um, P-Cell? P-Cell. P-C-E-L-L. No dash. No, P... All one word, yeah. I think it's it's lowercase P. So it's P-Cell. No, (laughs) No, there's a space. There's a space. No, it's actually pronounced cell. The P is silent. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) I just... It is... P-Cell... No, um, uh, it's a... it looks like a radical improvement over existing cell networks okay. with oh. uh, uh, where you can kind of pl- it's less expensive. Um, it, it uses this kind of beam forming technology where it forms little bubbles of basically uh, uh, um, um, uh, of um, reception around your antenna, you know, really kind of cool stuff. And you can put these, um, you can put the, uh, I don't know. What, what do they call them? You know, there's something that goes on the towers. You have to live at your house to make sure your warp coils are always aligned or something. It sounds very. That sounds great. This, uh, yeah, that, sounds my, great. my warp coils are never allowed. I, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah. No, but you can put these things in like a whole bunch of different positions because they track and, you know, uh, because they kind of track where your thing is and they form the, the bubble around your antenna. Uh, it doesn't, they can be in lots of different positions, which means that you don't have to have like a regular mesh of cell towers as in currently. And if you're between two cell towers now, you're like in the valley of reception, you have the mm. worst reception. Mm. But with this, it seems not to matter nearly as much. Hmm. You get spikes around each antenna and so, it tracks it very precisely. And it may, you know, some talk about maybe self-driving so cars this, and all kinds of stuff. If it is, why is this interesting to the person who wants to tear out half of their hair over the feeling like Comcast or Charter or or Time Warner is a boot on their neck. It looks Why is it because, because it looks like to say right. cells. It looks like the throughput of this thing may be uh, good enough to ditch your cable provider. And why is that interesting? That because you might be able to ditch your cable provider. Be, because then there will be competition. Ah. Right? So so it, it so why the fact is that, that better than the, regulation. Oh. Why, is this a rhetorical question? Yes and no. <laughs> I mean, it, it because the, the I'm just thinking about the alternatives, right? There, it, you know, you say, well, there's a natural monopoly on the current state of technology. Future, obviously, technologies might change, which might mean that uh, you don't have only one choice that is efficient. You have, have discipline of other competition. Well, okay, that that day may get here, it may not, but for right now, it isn't here, and I would like to not pay a king's ransom to get this thing I can't do without. And so I want some help. help well, me. so here's... All right. Uh, um, uh, maybe Christina will agree with me. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. W- one answer is that it takes a while to uh, put in place regulations. Now, first of all, let me, let's just, let me just bracket this. I would regulate the hell out of the cable companies. <laughs> I mean, just if, if for I, I no, actually do know that. If so for I'm, no other uh, purpose than just to be punitive, uh, um, um, I actually, you know, if, if 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 I could do it quickly, if I could, do, and, and that's kind of a little bit of a joke. But if I could do it quickly, if I could do it quickly, I would pass a reg saying that if you own the wires, you don't get to own anything else, right? Um, but but the fact that people hate these companies so much. And that they're charging so much makes it increases the incentive to develop competition 
Whereas if they That's were better true. companies, right, or if their prices were capped, it would do, it discourages uh, um, innovators from coming in and disrupting because there's not as much of the pie to grab. So right. if I'm a if I'm one of this you know this company that's making these P cells or some other company that's engaged in, you know you know WiMAX or whatever these other technologies are, right. uh, or fiber. Suppose I want you know that it costs a lot of money to come in and and, and lay fiber, and you got to worry about how to get on the poles and uh, and and to get that last mile stuff done. So uh, that may be attractive. So long as the cable companies are charging like ours is, I think it's like something, you know, over, over $50 for 30 megabits per second. And it's over a hundred dollars for a hundred megabits per second. And that's just down. I only get five megabits per second up. Yeah. Whereas the people with fiber get a tremendous amount up. I, get, I think they get about the same amount down, but if there's fiber and, uh, and copper wire and those are competing, the prices are a lot lower. Um, so anyway, th- there's at least some advantage to having the natural, the current natural monopolist, the incumbent monopolist, abusing their power, <laughs> right? Because it yeah. increased the taste for a disruptor. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think I agree with most of what Christian just said, except that I, I think he just said he was lying about it because he wants to regulate all the companies for punitive purposes. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's Whoops. The, 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 the question is always, what's the better way to get the result that you want? And, you know, the two, and, and, and it's possible to avoid these, but the two worries with regulation are always sort of unintended consequences and also industry capture. You know, that the, the regulations end up favoring um, the people that you wanted to kind of cut down. Um, and, and sometimes that happens quite naturally, especially with technical fields, because sometimes the people that understand the industries best had to, like, really did have to work in them to understand what's going on. And there isn't going to be a competent person to fill the job who doesn't, you know, perhaps some kind, have some kind of, like, split loyalty already. Um, so I think there's just these inherent dangers in regulation that might make it not work as well. Um, but these are, you know, the, the, the problem with trying to make all these calls is that they're these kind of ex anti judgment calls and sometimes things work and sometimes things don't work. And there's, you know, you can guess at the probabilities that they're going to have more problems than not. But, you know, these are these sort of judgment calls where we, I think sometimes end up relying to some degree on how we guess the world works on balance. And it's sort of hard to get it exactly right. I I do want to pin you down a little bit though. Let's suppose that we had some reason to think yeah some decent reason to think you know probabilities what have you that um there weren't going to be good competitors to copper wire okay uh uh or or fiber suppose we just have five we we have one or the other but there's some good reason to think that that others won't come in or it'll be too expensive and we don't have this p-cell thing and we don't have unicorns right so we don't have unicorns no 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 (sighs) Unicorn provide unicorn uh, internet would be pretty awesome. Though. Magic unicorn, yeah, just rainbows shooting out of horns, bringing packets to everybody. Oh, oh man, packet shooting. Unicorn I wish you horns. could <laughs> illustrate these podcasts with little animations. Um, yeah, that's a that's a listener opportunity. Those that of, is yeah, a listener those of you opportunity. Who are good at visualizing and and representing things, do email us. Do you guys or... allow for remixing of your podcast? <laughs> good well, derivative know, works do... with unicorns shooting rainbows out of their no, horns. No, 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 no. All... Computers everywhere. <laughs> Any use or use of this podcast requires the written consent of the NFL. <laughs> or Major League Baseball. I don't, I don't even know what that means. But, um, <laughs> no, let's suppose that we knew this, Christina. Let's suppose okay. that we knew, okay, yeah. that there weren't going to be competitors. Okay. We still have unintended consequence concerns about doing any particular thing because we don't know what's going to happen when we instigate a change, okay? So yeah. let's preserve that part of it. Would you not agree, though, if we know there aren't going to be competitors, that people who provide the wires shouldn't be able to do anything else? 
Shouldn't be able to do anything else. Um, I'd have to think about it. I mean, from a vertical integration, I, so vertical integration presents problems. And so if they're doing other right. things that appear in the um, in the stack in the stack of internet things, right? Um, I could see that being a good idea, but I would have to think and about to it. Give an example of that, just to more. you know, to fill out what vertical integration could be, either up or down from the wires themselves yeah. like they could sell like the the special wireless uh the special uh, ra- uh modem that you put in your house that own- that works best with their service right they can they can control that because they control the wires yeah. and then other- and they can try to do but, things to try to keep and they can know, own content providers this is but- where this is where the um uh th- this is where the the trying to the, the unintended consequence stuff gets tricky though because you have to start thinking out um how are you going to try to get around that rule so let's say comcast can't create its own content but based on the way you just wrote that rule, they wouldn't not be able to make some deal with NBC, right? Um, Where they don't own NBC's content, but NBC is paying the money. And so maybe they're then incentivized to um, to route NBC's TV traffic faster. No, 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 no. No, What what I want to say, this is what I want to see if you agree with, right? If we know that there aren't going to be competitors coming in, right? So there's going to be no market discipline on the wire part, right? Yeah, I agree. Then why not say that, why not have a a real internet uh, net neutrality provision saying all they can do is serve the traffic that their customers request without discrimination, without, in in other words, they can't leverage that monopoly power to do other stuff. Not only can they not own their own content or produce their own content, but they also can't make deals with one company over another company. Now, let me tell you one thing they could do, like like the water company. I want to treat them like the water company. Okay, what does the water company do? You you pay for your water. Right. Right. And, and, um, and, and so one thing they could do, they, in the, in the, there's nothing to stop a water company from yeah. saying, we're going to charge everybody 50 bucks a head, uh-huh. right? You yeah. know, uh, they don't do that generally. They charge you for the amount of water you consume. Yeah. So I actually would not have a problem. Um, there like are people on the, there. There are internet people who think that you know it should yeah. be all you can eat, and and anything else is like you know, uh, oh my god, yeah. freedom! But, I'm gonna put on a yeah. guy fox no, mask. Because the, but because the best reasons for thinking that are because of the other things they can do. So in a world where they couldn't do any other thing other than deliver this stuff, yeah, well, fine. Let them charge based on how much you use. Let them charge yeah. based on how much you use. The more you use, the more you pay. Yeah. Because it's uh, not a tool that can be used to batter right. you in some other But fashion. because yeah. they are a monopoly, we are going to regulate pricing because we have to because they're a monopolist. Right. And we're going to engage in some kind of cost plus pricing or something like that to, to ensure kind of allocative efficiency. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think it should be off the table, that kind of non-discrimination rule that you just proposed. Yeah. Um, the worry would be in how you wrote it. Because as with all law, the devil's in the details, right? Because you would... Def- so there's there's going to be cases where there's an argument to be made that um, uh, there's a technological reason for doing something and that there's also some other reason for doing something. And it might not even be yeah. that, that Comcast is getting paid, right? So like, let's say... Let's go back to the BitTorrent um, argue the the yeah. BitTorrent case where this is a peer to peer networking thing. Kind of if you know for for, for the oldsters out there like us, <laughs> this is like the next iteration of Napster. It's a little bit different, and it's it's a really cool technology where when a bunch of people want to download something, they not only download it from kind of a source, but also from one another as they get pieces of it, and so it kind of gets faster the more people that participate, and people use it to download. Because, Lots of things, yeah. and, and in fact, there are, there are major companies which distribute their stuff over BitTorrent. Yeah, totally but legally. But a lot of it, yeah. you know, a lot of BitTorrent is used to, to pirate movies and stuff. Yeah. But so, anyway. so in that case, um, and uh, Comcast argued that BitTorrent slowed down 
um, other traffic more than other large files did. Um, and I, I just don't know off the top of my head the degree to which that is that is made up or that that's true. Um, but you could also imagine, even in a circumstance where Comcast was a totally um, a, a, an actor that wasn't allowed to have any kind of monetary agreements with other parties, um, they're feeling some kind of you know pressure from large content companies that they're going to, um, uh, you know, try to force them to have greater filtering mechanisms or sue them despite the um, the safe harbors of the DMCA for carrying pirated traffic or something like that. Yeah. And so in wanting to just avoid a problem or to avoid a dispute, they just start slowing down BitTorrent traffic because they want to make these people happy so that they don't have some huge... I don't want them to do that. Care. You don't want them to do I that, I don't do want you? them to do that either. But this is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you're going to have to... Um, figure out the way to determine when um, regu- when discrimination is because, well, it's a scarce resource and people want too much right now, and so we're going to have to slow something down yeah, you uh, see, versus I, where... I agree with you in principle about yeah. that, but now I'm giving up on that because I'm saying it's too hard. And so, okay. I'm, I, I, and, and so I'm putting in place so a just, strong net neutrality principle so you're just as saying, a pragmatic matter. Okay, but there is going to... But if there, if people want more content then the network can provide they're going to have to either they're going to yeah. have to do something to slow something down what i would do is i would charge per per megabyte so and i would charge a, the, so, I would, so you're just going to raise the price per megabyte until the demand matches the supply yeah i, I would make the price uh okay. some kind of uh some kind of you know in, in, in super linear function of 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 megabytes downloaded Okay. Right. And, and when I say super linear, it means that, you know, at some point it becomes cost prohibitive, no matter how much money you have to get more traffic. Right. So, you know, exponential or what have you. So, uh, okay. um, uh, so, but for most people, they would be paying less than they're paying now. Okay. Um, I, I think I don't know some can, people would probably be paying more. Yeah, and I and, and, and they'd be the most intense users. This is the problem yeah. with uh, AT and T's original yeah. um, iPhone plan, right? The unlimited, because when people got iPhones, they actually started using the internet, right? Because <laughs> it was possible to do so. And uh, and there were a few, there were a small percentage of users were using a lot yeah. more bandwidth than everyone else. Yeah. yeah. So I I think your system works if there aren't price caps, right? Um, if if there are, if if Comcast if Comcast loses the ability to discriminate against traffic, but can charge to keep the demand at an amount where they can um, per- meet that demand in a satisfying way, right. Um, right? So in that case, so but it might so in in that case, I think that could work. Um, but you probably get some angry people um at some at, at some points um especially if demand is different at different times but i right? would my price cap though would be it's like this, uber my price cap <laughs> would be this comp, would be this uh function though right and so really what i'm getting at is once you decide that you're going to allow this monopoly mm-hmm. that you're going to price cap it that you're going to tell it how it can handle traffic basically you're going to go over basically you have amount. government provision Right. Basically, you have government provision of the service mm-hmm. where government is charging you like water companies do, like especially yeah. progressive water companies where you pay higher tiers. So your first however many gallons is this rate. Your second however many gallons is actually at a higher rate. Right. Mm-hmm. So the more water you use, the more expensive each additional gallon is. That's kind of how. Uh, uh, I did not know water companies worked that way. You know, it was, some do. And in fact, ours does here in Athens. Yeah. After after the last drought, I think they moved to uh, this huh. kind of tier and, pricing. And should because it's a great way to encourage people to be more mindful about how much yeah. water they use. I, yeah. Probably so. Probably so, so. But 
Well, I was going to say, so, you know, we're moving, the more regulation you put in place of this monopolist, when you're convinced that other people aren't going to come in uh, to use competition to discipline, the more you're really making them a public entity, a public utility, right? Yeah. And now we're going to, once you put it that way, we start to see some of the downsides, right? Because the whole idea of the private entity is it's always, you would like to think, always hungry and always looking for ways to do something radically different, better, what have you? Right? But you just stipulate. I mean, but the, the the circumstances that you stipulated that it's not the kind of entity that's going to be in that position to begin with, because unless right. there's unless there's disruptive technologists coming in that are going to be like, wait, I can do it better, I can provide a better service, cheaper or whatnot, then the incentives are all different. Right. Um, you know, I, I think the mistake might be and on the premise level, and I didn't fight the hypothetical when yes, I was answering you. I, I was. This was a um, roundabout way of saying that the premise. <laughs> that, it's a de- that it's a depressing world if that premise is true. Right. Right. You know, I don't think um, uh, Internet access is like water in the sense that, you know, we you know, we're quite happy with the way we get water right now. It's fine. And there's not really you know, there's not like a strong incentive to be like, oh, maybe we can get water that's 10 times as good. I don't. Yeah. Or maybe we can. You know, I don't know. But, maybe uh, water is not like water. Maybe water is not like water. <laughs> you know, you know, who knows? I'd love who to knows, but a world where we're all wearing, wearing still suits would be pretty darn cool. But, you know, there's there's Little there's. Dune reference. I, I think there's I like a lot the, of mm. um, possibility for 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 internet access to change and get better in the future. So I don't I don't want to throw in the towel yet. On... Here's another thing I wish we hadn't thrown in the towel on. Yeah. is the technology of regulation itself, right? Mm-hmm. Because but regulation has been um, I th- assumed to be in this conversation, and I think with a fairly large amount of justification, a creaky, slow kind of. Um, Slow, maybe in more than one meaning of that word, slow. (laughs) Takes a long time, is a little slow-witted. And I wish we were, I I wish that, um, we. I wish there were as much innovation in regulation Mm. as there are in other ways of dealing with things. um, Because the more options you have for solving problems, the better off you're going to be, just generally speaking, right? Some of those options for solving it will be market-based, private-motivated uh, solutions. Others will be public-operated alternative solutions. And yeah, it's just kind of sad to me that. Um, and I th- here's an here's an issue where I think, gosh, there's got to be stuff that we could productively learn in other places because, like, there are other countries. I'm just imagining that there are other countries where they have an internet. And where no. <laughs> I, I think I think Australia's one where, I've yeah. heard, and uh, where mm-hmm. they deploy broadband and where they approach the uh, these some of these service issues differently. Maybe they do it better. Maybe they do it worse. Mm-hmm. Either would be informative, it seems to me. Um, so I just feel like, gosh, are policymakers learning enough from other places? Are they trying to um, incorporate some of those lessons from other places? Uh, because I, I sort of think one thing you can count on the private companies to be is you can count on them to be the sociopaths they're designed to be. <laughs> oh. um, I mean, corporate or, or the hungry right? Well, go ahead. Uh, corporations yeah. are designed to pursue and and for really excellent reasons that I totally support. They're designed to approach the world in a particular way, which is maximizing mm-hmm. the returns. Uh, uh, I don't know about that. Owners. I don't know that that. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, that's all right. 
Uh, you know, I think large companies and small companies behave differently, though, because there's like that lumbering dinosaur effect that happens after a while with very large companies where there's like a fear of doing something radically different because of fear of losing what you already have. That's completely consistent with my story. That, yeah, I'm not that, disagreeing. I'm just so saying it's, there are it's ta- interesting. There are sets of facts where being the lumbering dinosaur is the way to maximize your success. And there are other times and other fact patterns where it's not. Mm-hmm. But what they have in common is they are they pursue self-interest relentlessly and and no matter how many human skulls get crushed under their feet because that's what they've been designed to do you know this is way 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 outside my area so i probably shouldn't oh now we're getting somewhere good now we're getting somewhere good yeah but you know one of the there there was some little article or blog post i read a couple years ago um and now i can't remember who wrote it but it was that the the shareholder maximizer vision of public companies is insane right i agree yeah the the idea that insane because um, it's not accurate as that you that the goal the idea that the goal of a company is to maximize shareholder value as opposed to to do whatever it is that the private company wants to do is an insane shift in priorities, right? Because, you know, even, you know, you want to... But it is a shift that happened uh, many, uh, many years ago and is sort of woven into the fabric yeah. of a ton of the way questions get approached, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's legally required for publicly traded companies. That's the current vision, Yeah, yes. yeah. But the, the, the argument was that that's nuts because there are plenty of... <laughs> that You know, that there's plenty of good reasons for... Even com- for-profit companies to say, well, you know, there's an- there are other values that we have, and they may only affect five percent of what we're doing, but there's good reasons to take right. a hit in terms of our profits for this other value. Um, and it might be just a long-term value, or like a, you know, in ten years, if we're still going to be relevant, we need to be doing this this way. And so I'm thinking really far down the road in a way that we're just not going to see for a long. What time. What if it's the case though with a lot of companies that. Or a lot, uh, or uh, I don't know if anything I said is correct. By the way, it's, just, it was all right. Oh, thank you. We're gonna edit out. <laughs> We're gonna all the wrong things you said. I, I edit out. Um, what if it's the case for a lot of companies though that if even if the goal is to maximize shareholder value uh, over you know it's, that's an imprecise term because you have to you know any but anyway uh, making that your operations goal means that you will never hit it. In other words, in order to maximize shareholder value, you have to aim at something other than maximizing shareholder value. Oh, that's so deep, man. Yeah. Yeah. That is I feel like we cut off Joe making a real point. That, this one? Whoa, whoa. What, 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 <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my real point. Yeah, she might have been sarcastic when she said that's a deep point. No. Um, no, no, <laughs> that you was have, a deep point, And I also feel like we cut you off. If you don't, my, my point though, I don't, I, it's okay. We can cut off Joe. Hey. <laughs> it, makes a, it makes a listener's man. It makes a listener's man because everybody realizes that, you know, Joe's the reason they listen to this show. Not and uh, yeah, well, they say. I they, thought it was the, the dog. The feedback we've had is we had, we had, we, yes, we had one request for more Darcy. We had another request for more Joe. This is a this and is less, a mythic request though because it's never actually I've never actually. No, seen I heard it. it. This is an in person thing. My point is, I think your point is excellent, and that could be and that could be an alternative way of approaching stuff. I was making a bit more of a descriptive claim, which is that the current um, conventional view is that um, private firms uh, pursue um, conscious self consciously pursue. Um, that goal, that's the right goal for them to pursue, maximizing their, their return uh, for their owners. And, um, and my observation was simply that precisely because that's the conventional view and that's what people are doing, no one could be surprised or should be surprised at least when entities with that goal in mind pursue it 
mindlessly and relentlessly. What what right. what right? I'm saying, I mean, yeah. and therefore do things that don't serve their consumers particularly yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Set of facts it's not surprising. Time. I agree with you as description. It's not surprising. I was trying to maybe a way of thinking about this is is the following. Imagine that an individual got it in their heads that the that the good life was defined by the number of friends you had, and therefore a a, a life with more friends is a better life. Right, okay. and so their goal, in a way, is to maximize the number of friends. If though they set out on a daily basis to try each day to maximize their number of friends, they will in fact lose friends. Right, and so in even if that's your criteria, uh, or that's your criterion, because it's just one. If, even if that's your criterion for the good life, you have to have a different kind of set of personal goals in order to achieve that. Right, and the same maybe the same thing for a company. If I treat the resources of my company as an opportunity to do something great, right, uh, that's the way you're going to do something that's going to you know change your market or even change the world, right? Whereas if you say I've got this cash and I want to do that thing, which is going to maximize how much cash I have after I make the next change, you're just you're never gonna. It's the wrong frame of mind because these are people we're talking about, right? These are yeah. human beings engaged in a social enterprise, yep, right, and. And in and, and thinking about just taking one stack of cash and turning it into the biggest possible uh, uh, stack of cash at time T2 is just not how human beings do great things. And wealth follows, you know, uh, uh, at least in, in markets, great things. That was my point, right? And um, so I... And, and these, I don't disagree and these, with it. These, I just don't think any... I, I think most of our current approaches to the... At least legal approaches to these things are predicated on completely different set of and I think, principles. And I think you have to do that for these cable companies. Like, so n- no cable company anywhere that is, its primary business is wires, right, is, gonna, is, in, in, is, in, is in this category. It's the, it's the companies on the outside which are trying to take market share. Maybe the companies behind the... You know, the company behind the P-cell thing. Like those are the companies that are thinking... We're going to try to make the best possible product for getting, you know, data moved around the world. You know, it's interesting, though, because one of the reasons they might be, I don't know, it's I feel like one of the reasons why they might be willing to pursue that vision. We want to do this great thing. And it's getting people this way to access information that's like qualitatively so much better. Right. The reason we're willing to do that and pour our whole souls into doing that is because Someday, when, you know, we're, we're, we're like smaug sitting on this mountain of gold. <laughs> I think um, you're thinking of smog. Like I said, smaug sitting on this mountain of gold. We know that people will, will support and protect us as we sit. And they won't be trying to kill us like those little dwarves. They'll be, they'll be protecting us, right? All the rules <laughs> of society will say, thumbs up on the mountain of gold, smaug. <laughs> Sit on it, love it, lick it, do whatever you want. It's yours. Oh, gross. Right? Yeah. That's the, like that. So that might be the thing that makes the person willing to risk so much to pursue this vision that they have. I just don't know. Right? Yeah. I mean, you're saying it's no, they do it because it's the beauty of the thing in and of itself. That's what they're excited about. Maybe, uh, maybe most of them are. Maybe all of them are. Maybe none of them are. Because as a description, maybe the thing I totally agree. About as a description, is yeah, the yeah, fact yeah. that once they succeed and obliterate everyone else, they get to feast <laughs> on the tears of their enemies and sit on this pile <laughs> of stuff, and this no one is will why, take it away. This is why people love the show, <laughs> and they do. They love it by the hundreds. They love it, and they love it. They love it for those. We need. We need a catchphrase for these <laughs> Joe rants. <laughs> 
Joe Rant sounds like Joe a good Rant. Catchphrase. Joe uh, Rant, yeah. But, you know, ma- making a, a great product for your consumers that people really, really want to buy is not exactly the same as maximizing shareholder value, right? And that's the, the kind of key right. distinction. Yeah, I agree. Which is a, a non-loud monologue way of, of, of responding. I mean, antitrust law is, is there because we think that firms don't pursue the best interests of their customers, they pursue the best interests of themselves. And sometimes that will mean competing really hard. Mm -hmm. And other times it will mean doing their darndest not to compete hard. And it's these cable companies are an example of natural monopoly. It's a branch of antitrust, right? Your concern about, wait a minute, they seem to be serving their own interests, not their their customers' interests. That's a problem that we need to try to cope with. We have talked about none of Christina's actual research, I think. <laughs> so we need to have her back. Of course. Yeah, we're not going to do go. it today. No, we can't. But We've, been, I have the, a we've already talked for She knows hours. so much about so many things. None of which we talked about today at all. No. <laughs> you, you. I was completely making it up. <laughs> That's what that's Comcast what we do. Comcast isn't even a real company. That's well, <laughs> you know, one can dream. One can dream. <laughs> um, uh, I, is there anything else you want to add, though? I have a I have a super secret project that Ooh. we should talk about at some point, which doesn't have to be on the radio, but it's super exciting. Really, and it has nothing to do with what I research normally. So once again, we're off on really. A I, I've got some of these projects too. Okay, so here's here's mine. Oh, you, do you want to? I'll just talk. Well, you can, you can e- as you usually say, you can just edit it out. Oh yeah, okay. But yeah. here's the spill the beans. I'm gonna edit beans. all this out. Okay, yeah, clearly. Yeah. Okay, so this is the first time in public <laughs> I have mentioned this. Oh, oh wow. So okay, this a is couple, a really public way. So, this is a big platform here. No, I'm just really excited. So I'm just commandeering the whole the whole show. Okay, here we um, go. So a couple years ago, someone told me they'd been to some conference about constitutional interpretation and someone had told them that at one point um, before ratification the constitution had been translated into German for the German speaking population of I Pennsylvania. I saw this. You saw this? I saw this on Twitter. Someone posted a copy of the of the oh, constitution so in German. Oh, so there's well, this is so I have I need to get this out faster then. Yeah, um, yeah, but anyway, so p- someone had uh, translated something into German. What was the thing? They the constitution before ratification. And so, and it, you know, the person that I talked to was like, you know, I don't think there's a copy that anyone's found. I don't know. Da 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 da. Um, and so I was like, well, that and you know and. I was like, well, that would be really cool because you'd be able to see in the mind of a person what they thought the Constitution meant um, through their translation, but it's like a you know word for word interpretation. Mm. And so um, when I was uh, trying, you know, supposed to be doing about five other things, I found myself in the basement of Yale's Rare Book Library trying to like talk to the Rare Book Librarian, being like, "Do you have you ever heard of this? Is this like a thing?" Actually, the librarian at the University of Pittsburgh kind of started me on this because he was like, "You know, I think Duke has a copy of like the statutes of Pennsylvania from like the 1820s that had the Constitution in it." But anyway. Long story short, um, the uh, not only was it translated into German for the Dutch for the um, the Pennsylvania Dutch population, but it's also translated into Dutch for Dutch speakers who lived in the Hudson River Valley. Um, and so I have both. both of these and have started and have um, a a wonderful German and Dutch translator. Do you speak either been, of these languages? No, so I cannot like repeat the words, <laughs> but I can. Um, but it's fascinating. Um, der Constitution or something. Like der that. Constitution. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fascinating to see. Awesome. Um, do, you, do you speak German or Dutch, Joe? <laughs> okay, okay. How um, how the how these two translators understood various terms, right? So, like one of um, 
So, for example, the word felony was changing meaning. Um, it had at one point meant a capital crime. Even Blackstone says, well, it doesn't really mean a capital crime anymore. It means any kind of serious crime. Um, but the, the Dutch translation translates the word felony to crime worthy of death. Oh, wow. Period. End of story. But right? wasn't that at the time of the Constitution all crimes in- Including, I think, speeding. Not every. <laughs> uh, just to well, put that out there. That's why you flashed your lights on. Your I don't want anyone. I don't want to see anyone when hanged. You were, right? Yeah, Joe doesn't right. care though. Um, you had your horse whinny <laughs> twice when you passed a speed trap, so that the guy in the carriage going <laughs> right. the other way. I, knew, I would not. Um, look, based on my research so far, I would not be surprised to see cases cop. back then. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt that. Oh, well, no, I did. I did, mean, is, I did mean to. So but, the, but go the, ahead. The, the problem with this paper is that it has no thesis other than this is fascinating. Um, oh. But no, it does. Um, but it, it, it's that you can see how there was such a range in a minor way of interpretation in terms of the way people read certain pieces of the Constitution and other things. Both of the translators line up exactly with the kind of dominant historical interpretation. So in one sense, it supports certain interpretations as being like, this is what everyone really thought this meant. You know, sciences and useful arts, um, that kind, you know, that phrase always right. gets translated the same way. Um, and then other things like, you know, the recess of the Senate mm-hmm. um, and oh, and no. felony um, get translated quite differently in ways that suggest that there was just a, a you know variety no, of different meanings. It's triply it's triply historical in the sense that, um, of course, it's not Dutch today. It's the Dutch of 1789. It's yes. not German today. It's the German of 1789. Yes. So For, you, yeah. you take you take the um, the fact that you have to engage, you don't have to, you take uh, the fact that you can conduct an interpretive exercise as an historical enterprise, yes. which we do in English as to that document, you now have three different historical inquiries. Now, I suppose the hope might be that by increasing the number of historical inquiries, you triangulate more firmly on a mm-hmm. particular answer, right? Yeah. Or you realize that you can't. So do, yeah. you, do you then um, uh, want to call out to the world that you are a profoundly and resolutely anti-originalist crusader? No, I don't think that's true. I mm. think it's that... So sometimes there is... Sometimes, you're, so you're a pro-originalist dead-ender moron. <laughs> so I think there's a... So, so first I'm of not going to give you a, a whole lot of options here, a, but I'm... It's one or the other. Right, so... <laughs> So I think that one can limit this this inquiry to descriptive claims, right? Ah, so there's okay. so so first you can say can we know what people thought it meant? And then there's a second question over should we care what difference should that, what, make? What, what difference should that make? And that's sort of the the kind of a, a more normative constitutional inquiry which I kind of want to leave to the side just because there's so much that one can go after here. Um but you know that for for lots of um for for lots of clauses and claims, you can kind of triangulate on a point. And, you know, these two translations, in addition to, you know, what people were talking about at the time and, 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 and newspaper and dictionary definitions and stuff like that, you can kind of triangulate on a meaning. And there's other things where you're like, you know, it looks like even then people were kind of unsure. And people could be unsure for two different reasons, right? So for if you want to look at the necessary and proper clause, people were debating what that meant right like the moment it was written. Um, and sure. then, and so those debates in some sense are, are quite relevant because they knew what they were talking about at the time and the way it was translated, they might have been more aware of those debates. And then there's other translations where, um, you know, one of the, um, uh, 
for the German translation of regulate comes off as establish. Um, and so in some sense, you could say like, oh, now that we're talking about the Affordable Care Act, you know, maybe that would indicate a broader power that you can establish trade, right? And then, but the mm -hmm. other argument would be like, well, that's not what they were even thinking about at the time, whether or not you could create, f force there to be commerce or not. And so it's a, a la the, the choice there is less um, compelling because there are times when people make choices, but because they're not aware of the possible ways people could be arguing or discussing the power, it has less meaning because they're not really consciously choosing that to represent something. So what do you know about who actually did these, trans who prepared these translations? Yeah, so the, the German guy, I cannot figure out who it was. There was, um, it was, the com it was commissioned by the, um, the legislature of Pennsylvania. They made a committee of three people and those people are known to pick someone to make the translation and the name just does not appear on anything that mm. I can find. The Dutch guy though is very clear and is a historical enough figure that you can actually know things about him so he was a it, so that was commissioned Ooh, by the sure. federal committee of oh. new york so they wanted the constitution to pass or to be ratified by new york um and they picked a dutch minister named lambertus durand um and so interesting things about him were that he was he was born in the netherlands um he uh did not uh he he criticized his own speaking of English, even though he wrote in English a lot. So he said, "I'm not witty. Um, I'm not. You know, I shouldn't be even doing." He, he, I mean, it was sort of the the, the old fashioned like I'm gonna you know cut myself down kind of thing. But he was like, you know, I, I have no business writing writing in this way. But you know, here I'm gonna try it anyway. Um, and he wasn't a lawyer. Um, is, is is the other important point. So it, hmm. to the extent that there's, um, you know, a where, where there are legal terms of art in the Constitution that he kind of massages in some way, it's almost a better indication of what an educated non-lawyer would have thought that they were mm. voting on or thought that they were 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 were, were, were deciding the about. That, that they wanted people who live in New York who are Dutch speakers, yeah. to be willing to vote in favor in a plebiscite, and therefore. Like, what's the theory about why this was an important thing to do? Um, the so some of the people who could vote for the so there were the the two stages. So you voted on candidates to go to the state convention to vote to ratify or not ratify um, the constitution. And you wanted native speakers of Dutch uh, or people whose first language was Dutch to be able to, to full, participate fully in that process. Yes. And yeah, that they would be more willing to do that if they had a constitutional a, a draft of the thing under discussion yeah. that they could read in their first language. Yeah. Um, and in fact, they um, the, 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 the Dutch-heavy counties did vote for Federalist candidates, even though on balance, New York's um, group, the, there were way more anti-Federalists that went to the New York Ratifying Convention. Um, and then it was because of the fact that enough other states had ratified that sort of the political tide changed mm. and they were like, ah, we probably have to get on board with this. Um, so it, it, it probably didn't have an effect on the, the ultimate yeah. outcome because that was, it wasn't that, you know, the Federalists won and that's why, um, New York ratified, uh, or, you know, voted to adopt the, the U S constitution. Um, but the, uh, um, but that was sort of, the, the idea, like to make it more accessible. And in the translations, there's a lot of cognates because it wasn't, it wasn't, because most of the people were exposed to English. And so sometimes there aren't great Dutch words to capture certain American ideas, like, you know, trial and jury or different, mm. different places. And so sometimes he just is like, jury, trial. Mm -hmm. One time, even though he uses crimes worthy of death for felony, one time he just says felony in English. I have two thoughts. Yeah. 
And then you I can edit it. all of this out because it's just you know random talking about a random project. But it's it's if almost I, it's almost done, and I'm so excited about it. If I edited it out all random talk, we wouldn't have the show. <laughs> so uh, uh, you have two thoughts, and I have two thoughts. Okay, so we have four thoughts together. Yeah, we're, we're going to only hear three of them, though, and a which unicorn. means you know I'll do one and a half. You do one and a half. Will that work? Is that sure. a thing? Okay. Um, uh, so the first thing is that I, um, the first thing has multiple parts. No, just, <laughs> the listeners are going to hit the pause button. No, um, that, I have a five-part so, question. So, you know, the, like the originalist uh, people who are kind of originalist, kind of textualists. These kinds of people who are looking for original textual meaning or uh, original textual meaning as evidence of intentionalism. Like a lot of these different kind of interpretive methods point towards the same con- uh, uh, towards similar methods. So it's all this. Uh, uh, well, the the approach is to to basically find more sources that will generate more words, right? So you you have a word in the Constitution, and like it can mean a bunch of things, right? And what you want is to say, well, it has to satisfy that word and some other word and some other word, and like you know, in logic, you keep adding ands until you narrow the scope. It's what you were talking about about triangulation yeah. earlier, Joe. Yep. Uh, and and so you know, I've always you know wondered about this technique of picking out dictionaries, whether they're 1789 dictionaries or 2014 dictionaries, because what that does is it tends to just add more words. And we think that we're getting closer to something by adding more words. Um, and and so the 1789 dictionaries, we think, well, maybe the people who drafted this thing were, uh, they were, they were cogni- cognizant of these dictionaries. And so they thought these words meant what was in the dictionary. And so I'll look at the dictionary words, which are, you know, add to the word that I'm interpreting and all that will do this triangulation. Um, and so the project, as I see it, in, as it relates to that, is well, this just generates yet more words because now I can look at the uh, I can look at the Why are you translation. Adding this nonsense, that, yeah, Christina. I, I can look at the translation they chose, and then I can look at the translation back to English of that somehow, and that will add more words to it, and that will tell me yet more. So it, I think that's a really interesting enterprise because I think it's interesting to know the intentions of the uh, people who wrote the document, even if you don't think that those intentions are relevant to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Or if you think they are relevant, they are not like determinative. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's an interesting project regardless of the fact that um, well, I'm not sold on the original textualist enterprise. Yeah. Right? Well, it's also interesting as evidence of what non-authors of the Constitution thought that it meant. Because a lot of the... Um, a lot of the evidence about what people thought it meant um, come from people that were, you know, significantly involved in the drafting process or with the founding of the country. Right. Um, and the fact that um, these are kind of, you know, your 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 more separate um, characters who were doing. I mean, we're not sure of the German guy, but at least the the Dutch yeah. guy Durand. Um, shows what someone who wasn't part of that might have thought. It's a different kind of evidence. And that's just interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, Scalia is like famous for being, or at least asserting that he's kind of an original public meaning originalist. So he's mm-hmm. interested in what the text meant originally at the time yeah. that it was created. And that's true, I think, with statutes and of uh, the Constitution. And the, the typical data sources for figuring that question out have been dictionaries of the time, mm-hmm. assuming that like people, that's what people thought these words meant, and and practice at the time. So the fact that they were they had these certain punishments operating at a certain time as some evidence they thought mm-hmm. those punishments were okay, that that kind of thing. And this adds yet another layer to it. Which right, is so I'm sorry I'm adding more more evidence to your pile of words that you... <laughs> it is, it is. Well, it, 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 it does that though, right? But but I think it does, it, it gives a different flavor to it. And that's interesting. Now the yeah. other, here's my other point. Okay. And this is the key point, which I, I hope that you will keep in mind. Because I think you could use this point to make a YouTube video, which would be much more popular than anything you would write about this. Oh, good. Okay. okay. Well, with that... Um, have you considered the possibility 
that the German translation was written in Germany before the Constitutional Convention. I'm pretty sure dun, that dun, didn't dun. You, you see what I'm saying, though? No. This is all a plot. So the Germans this wrote the Constitution. This is all a plot. The Germans wrote the Constitution. Um, the Constitutional Convention was all a sham. And, and in fact, they, what, they, they closed everybody out, right? Didn't they close windows and draw blinds? In, or uh, maybe not blinds, the curtains, whatever they had at that time. They didn't let people in. I didn't realize I was on one of those like crazy conspiracy yeah, shows. Yeah. Um, where... <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That, that seems to... Have I blown your mind, Joe? I'm like... Mm-hmm. Call up Art Bell, my right? My brain is just a smoking rubble right now. Because <laughs> of the uh, the awesome power of that. I think, I think <laughs> Logan Sawyer is crying somewhere <laughs> listening to this. Wow. <laughs> The, I so until I hear otherwise, so I I see two hypotheses here. Move you don't, over, James Madison. Here's Wilhelm Ehrenschweig. He's the one who did it. Father, yeah. father of our country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> all all the German plot. Uh, okay. To consolidate power in Europe. Now, I, I hope you'll consider this idea. And and if you and if, if it you, doesn't make it into the final draft, you can you know it was just <laughs> that's why I say you make a you YouTube know, video space. of this idea. Do you ever see the YouTube video of the uh, conspiracy theory uh, to blow up the Death Star? No. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> if you make a video like that one, so was George so many the hits. Third? Um, when did the Sax Coburg Gotha line? Well, I don't even know what you just said. Arrive in England. George the Third was mm. Germanish. Or was something. He part, Wasn't he yeah, part so we could, German? I mean, the, the way to totally verify oh, your plot yeah, theory yeah. is to connect it to the British crown. Real, yeah. Because then it's a revenge for our separation. It's ultimately they engineered Or it's ultimately a way to be like the puppet masters, even though they uh, they lost the, the nominal control. They ended up, if they ended up ghostwriting the constitution. Exactly. Exactly. There we go. Yeah, yeah we got to connect the dots. I really, I, this... This is not my official position on any <laughs> topic. Can I say my two things? I will say my official position, I'm totally okay. convinced, is that the, Ger- uh, the Germans were the original authors of the United States Constitution. Actually, I'm going on record. That's my belief. Actually, my two I, things are much okay. shorter. Okay. Can I, I say my two things? Yes, then I'll say one quick Okay. One. So my first thing is I'm hoping that the Dutch translation includes promises to Dutch people in New York that they will receive things um, as favors. Strangely, he didn't just randomly add sentences that is like so, that. That's super sad. To me. Um, <laughs> and th- you get a pony. <laughs> right, right. But not, but not, but in Dutch, right? In Dutch, yeah. Um, that's sad. That, um, a pony translates to wooden shoe in Dutch, doesn't it? Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that the word they use? I don't know. Sabo. Um, I know. Yeah. So, uh, the other thing is the current, there, there is a current, um, context in mm-hmm. which, uh, legal, uh, Actually, there are multiple contexts in which this is the case, where where all different language versions of the of the item are viewed as equally legally binding. So, yeah. for example, in Canada, English and French um, court opinions are rendered this way, statutes are rendered this way, and it is an interesting thing that there are systems where um, and and UN documents, I presume, are it's say they're yeah, all the equally EU. legally binding. Yeah. Uh, even though they're in different languages. And so I have wondered whether or not in judicial decisions in those places, to the degree that people <laughs> care about, okay, well, exactly how is this said? Yeah. Uh, that you could consult multiple different language sources to try to triangulate. Yeah. Um, so what, what I have find interesting is, I've, so I've looked a little bit at the way um, this happens in Europe. And what I 
what I've read is that choosing the translations is part of the negotiation process, right? Because it's not like they, they negotiate it in one language and then have the translations made. Is that they're they're writing all of them at once when mm. they're negotiating the, the treaty or whatever the document is. Um, and so part of that process is being like, well... You know, when in in your favored language, you're using this word that means something different than in mine, which might favor you in some kind of dispute. So I don't want you to use that word. I want you to use this other I want word. You to use this other so word. you're doing it as a package, getting all the multiple things. Yeah. Now, of course, we don't have that. We don't. We don't have that because you're in the Constitution. They did draft it in a single language, and then it gets rendered in other languages. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm not going into this because it's such a um, kind of philosophical question about what it means to form a government and what is a legitimate government. But I, you know, on some, if you want to get really kind of pull out crazy philosophical about this. If you're looking at consent of the governed, and granted, the, the consent is then laundered through the ratifiers. Sure. Um, the people that, you know, voted for the Federalist candidates based on reading the document in translation was sort of, was consent, in a sense, you could argue, they were consenting to the translation. Um, and to the extent that that differed from the English, mm. they were consenting to different content. And then that's right. laundered through ratifiers that are discussing different things with each right. other. Consenting and so to the translation. Worst Bill Murray movie ever. Right. And so way. it doesn't. <laughs> no, no. So, so I, I, I mean, to, to, you know, consent yeah. of the government is obviously a, a, a fiction anyway, but it's, it's sort of interesting to think about whether, you know, in, in some meaningful sense, they're, um, you should just think of these as as interesting copies that reveal what people were thinking, and I think that's probably the most practical way of thinking about it. But if you want to take a kind of wacky pull out political theory point of view, um, you know, you could also say that in some sense these documents should be privileged, not because the translators had any privileged position to decide what the uh, rules yeah, were, yeah. but because the people voting on those documents were by their actions creating right. the government and its content through the vote. They assented to a meaning. They assented to yeah. a specific and meaning. So given that to honor their reliance interest mm-hmm. in that presentation of it, you have right. to Incorporated in that way, right? Fascinating, um, fascinating. Um, so that's that's probably two out there. So the um, so maybe that, that that sounds cool. So maybe we should stop with that. <laughs> I have a listener alert, and oh this is gosh. the last thing. Listener alert, and listener this is alert. this is this could be the longest show ever. Uh, listener alert. Uh oh. Um, if all goes well, for next week's show, uh, I will not have a beard. Because you're going to sell the right to shave it or something? Yes, I'm. I'm selling. I'm selling my body parts at, at auction. Mm, nice. No, I'm selling. Uh, yes, I'm going I may be shaving my beard at the public interest auction. Is that what on you're? Um, is that what you put up? As the I put up sold? like four things. I'm doing like a movie and night. Is the right got, to sell your? I'm gonna uh, if all go, if they raise a thousand bucks there at the auction, I will shave live on stage. Is that? Worth I've done it once before. Well, last time, last time, three, what, four years ago, raised about 800 bucks. Really? Mm-hmm. And you didn't have to shave? No, I did. I did. I, I don't remember what the threshold was. Then. Oh, okay. I think it was like seven. It was less, right? So but, what you know, will happen if they raise $5 less than the threshold required for you to shave? Boy, that's, I don't know. Do they I, just not pay? I don't. I I don't know. I guess is this like a Kickstarter where like they don't have to pay if they don't reach the threshold? I think they have to put the money. I think they put their money in the. You know, I leave it up to them. I leave it up to the students. There there are, there are implementation details. I mean, I, I think the, I think the idea is we're going to somehow make it come hell or high water. I'm sure your face without a beard is very interesting. I just don't. I'm just not sure it's a thousand dollars of interesting. Mm, mm, mm. I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I. I, I don't set the price. This is the market. 
Um, but you did set the price because you said it was a thousand. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, but but no, the price the, the market price is the price of the transaction. A market so, requires a willing seller I, and a willing that's buyer. Right. I, I'm just I set an asking price. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but but this is, I haven't set the market price. I, I can't do that. I can't set the market price because I'm not charter cable. Right. That's I can't true. do you that. You don't have a monopoly. Well, you do yeah. have a monopoly on your beard. Well, it is not. But it but it is not a my beard is not a common carrier except of you know bits of food and soup. And I think stuff we have like a that. title. My beard uh, is not a common carrier. I think we have an episode a, title. That is a good title. Um, yeah. But I just want the listeners to be aware. I don't want them to be shocked next time when I'm, you know, when we record when they this hear and they hear me without the beard. I don't yeah. want them to be shocked. Okay. Okay. So this is just program alert. I donated taking four people out to dinner and I'm just like, I hope I'm expensive. I feel really sad. <laughs> like $3. <laughs> it, it'll be fascinating to That's see. That's why I, ma- I simply made a, a donation on the right. theory that. I'm prepared to donate more than I could ever raise oh. as a sale object. But so. everyone loves you. You, you could. Hmm? But everyone loves you, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that translates into dollars. Oh yeah, I, I, people would pay. They a probably bunch. love you at least as much as they don't like Christian's beard. <laughs> I would think yeah, so. Yeah, you're betting on the hate well, for your facial hair. That is so odd. Or yeah, or or the the love for that which is uncovered. Oh, mm. yes. That sounds scandalous when you put it that way. The yeah. things well, unseen. Yeah, it does. yeah, yeah. That's no good. That's no good. Why don't you shave your beard, Joe? Um, I don't know how much. How much would you? Let me just put it. We're gonna. We're gonna, we got to end this show. It's going long, but this is the part. This is the good part. <laughs> I feel like we're just getting started. Oh the rest of just like, practice. Yeah, we're just getting and now started. We're kind of in a group. Okay, are you ready to start the show? Yeah, <laughs> Joe, are you ready to go? Yeah, <clears throat> all right, buddy. You're gonna ask me how, how much? Mic I, check, mic check. Okay, so how much would I be willing to? How shave how much would I have to pay you for you to shave your beard? Oh, I I don't know. Not much. How long though would it have to be shaved? Because like it doesn't in my into the semester for me. Mm. Oh, so you have to keep it shaved. I'm keeping it, right. yeah. Because otherwise, it seems like it's yeah. You know. To me, this is not worth this entire thing is not worth discussing unless it involves not just the shaving of the beard, but actually the hair on the top of one's head. I think dyeing the hair on the top of your head like bright blue would be that really fun. It could be fun. It could be fun. You mean that you would do it for no money or that it would be fun to sell that? It would be fun to sell that. I also, I'm jealous of the fact that, um, you know, because men have shorter hair, they can do bolder hair decisions and it's like a less long-term decision. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. The the amount of time it takes to get back to the status the original, quo ante yes. is much shorter yes, and therefore... Exactly. Yeah, because you have, you have long locks. There you go. Yeah. So no, it would take I a long really time to get back things. to... Yeah, you've exactly. Got, you've, got, you've got equity in that hair that... You don't want to just sacrifice willy-nilly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. but on the other hand, you know, for us dudes of a certain age, like, you know, you kind of... You're not sure it'll actually grow back. You're not... Yeah, <laughs> you, you kind of want to keep what you've got. I mean, right. you know... It is, you know um, yeah. So I don't think we've arrived at a market price, Joe, and I really want to hear this. So if I were going to pay you... How much would you take right now to shave your beard and have it remain off until the end of the semester? How much would I have to pay? Um... I'm asking for a price. Yeah, I know. And I actually do like not shaving. Me too. Yeah. So it's really about the cost to so shave. So that's what I'm trying to yeah. price yeah. is what mm. is the, you know. Yeah. It's a gigantic Because I, I need to come up with a number high enough for you not to just hand it to me right now. Is, could you let me know what that is? <laughs> what is the most you, you'd be willing you to me, pay? You want me to make an offer so that you can ask more than I could conceivably Correct. offer? I would like to charge okay. more than you are willing no, to pay. No problem. I can do that for you. I'm willing to pay right now $12,000. Wow. So I, I'm charging 12005 I think you, should, I think you oh, should take bummer. it, actually. And then we have record that this happened. What That's is the, a lot of money yeah, for just a beard. The, I would have thought so. I thought for sure that would be a market clearing price for Joe's beard hairs. 
You just no. don't believe that it's true. I think if you no, really thought there were twelve thousand right dollars on the table, well, if there were in fact twelve thousand dollars on the table, I mean, let me assure everyone in the listening <laughs> audience there was not. It's only about eleven thousand. Just eyeballing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been a great episode, folks. It has been. I think we're done. I, I know we're done. <laughs> Thanks, Christina. Thanks, Bye. Christina. <laughs> I broke your chair. <laughs>